The kids on Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? Halloween's a Freddy Krueger podcast. Was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. From the Consequence Podcast Network, the minds behind the Losers Club comes a new podcast in fantasy terror. Nancy? something wrong with you you're imagining Halloweenies a Freddy Krueger podcast Consequence Podcast Network we made an oath I swear if it ever comes back we'll come back too for 27 years I dreamt of you I craved you Finish it for good. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host today, Michael Rothman, editor in chief of Consequence of Sound, and we're back in Derry. Actually, we never really left. We've just been here at uh, the good old inn. I had a, a nice time at the the Jade last night. Great Saturday night eatery uh, that just had a really good meal. And you know, hey, no spooky surprises for me. But I can't say the same for the other Losers Club. Uh, but hey, in my Losers Club, I'm not alone, and uh, I am with. This is uh, Mackenzie Jade Gerber, and uh, really reaching <laughs> for that creative. one. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm a constant uh, contributor to this podcast, as well as Halloweenies, and very excited to talk about this film today. Yes, and we're going to be talking about It Chapter 2. Not Chapter mm-hmm. 3, as it's been reported, uh, I think falsely, across uh, all different <laughs> publications that came, seem to just stretch those quotes as much as possible. Uh, anyway, who's to your left? Uh, Randall Richie Trashmouth Tozer oh. uh, Colbert, and I almost got my last name wrong. Uh, no, I'm de- uh, that's a that's an old time joke because there was there's much debate in this in this pod about who is actually Richie, yeah. uh, and I think I'm going to start throw my name in the hat. Just throw your name in the hat at this point. We all want to be the jokester. Uh, Long time loser, currently the internet culture editor at the AV Club, and uh, happy to be here to talk about it. Chapter two. After God, I think I was on the episode talking about chapter one. Yeah, you were. It was Good a, times. A couple years ago, and lots have changed. Uh, a lot has changed and we've been pretty much belaboring wanting to talk about this for a couple weeks it's yes. been a couple weeks since yeah we saw it about it. two weeks ago yeah. yeah yeah i saw it right before my birthday so it was a nice little birthday surprise but hey we're not the only one on this podcast we have a special guest and uh, he's calling all the way from the west coast uh you heard him a couple weeks ago he was in our season finale episode that we had before we took our little um Summer hiatus. Yep. We're back with Anthony, the dancing clown, Bresnikan. <laughs> I, I, I also had a, uh, a summer hiatus, but uh, now I am uh, writing as a special correspondent for Vanity Fair and nice. did a little bit of it. Chapter two coverage. Uh, that I hope we get to talk about because I'm really excited to write about it. Oh, Absabsolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because now, look, the sewer grate is off. 
Yep. Uh, the manhole cover. Uh, the, mm-hmm. What else are the things that you call a sewer covers? I think I manhole know. covers, sewer grate, yeah. those work, yeah. Storm drain. Storm, Storm drain. drain. It's all out. It's all out. The floodgates are open, and, 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 and along, <laughs> with Henry, al- along with Henry, <laughs> along with Henry, we're, we're, our, our reviews are washing ashore. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, guys, don't pour your empty old paint cans and motor oil down those drains. It's really bad for the shape-shifting <laughs> evil presence that lives beneath your town. And it just makes them stronger. Things. Yeah, you know... <laughs> It was funny. I was coming out of Home Depot last night, and uh, why were you at Home Depot? Oh, yeah. I was Home looking Depot. for Halloween decorations, and <laughs> I thought they would have them there. And I get out, and there's like all this paint that's poured on the sidewalk, and Seriously? I just imagine like a really clumsy Walter White um, <laughs> like coming out because oh, he, you know, he has the two paint cans in that one scene, and he just like drops them, and it goes everywhere. And then I thought about like it was going into the sewer drain, and I was like, oh, that sucks. Bad day for Pennywise. Bad day for Pennywise. Mm-hmm. But hey, it's a good day for us losers because, uh, like we said, we get to talk about everything it chapter two anthony you've you know you just already teased it but uh you've had uh, two insane amazing articles that are tied to both it chapter two and Cy king uh you recently got to talk with stephen king for the new york times in which you talked about pretty much everything in the world of king right now yeah a lot of the stuff mainly the institute the Mm -hmm. new book Mm -hmm. that i think is a good companion piece to it i mean it's gotten a lot of comparison to that because it's you know it's about a group of young friends around you know uh, you know, sort of middle school aged and, uh, you know, it's a different plot, but sort of similar themes of friendship and, uh, uh, you know, defying, a sort of dark shadowy evil presence. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, so it's been kind of fun. I, you know, I, I, I did the New York times pieces, uh, as freelance. And, uh, at the same time I was getting hired at vanity fair and, uh, and I thought, man, I just really want to write about it. Chapter two. I didn't get <laughs> to do that before I was on the set. You know, and uh, I had to, you know, turn over my notes to another EW writer to do that story. So I wanted to write about it myself. I had stuff I was interested in. So I got to do that, too. And that was uh, I was really proud of that piece. So it was a nice way to start things off because, you know, Stephen King has been such a big part of the coverage I've done over the years. So it was nice to kind of start my new venture there with uh, with Pennywise and, and friends. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's a good time that you found a you know home uh, right now because this is the probably the busiest month of Stephen King I can remember. I mean, at yeah. least for us doing this podcast, and we've had some busy months. I mean, we have not only – I mean, there's so many things that I just keep forgetting. Like like last week I did a tweet about just rounding up everything, and as I was writing the tweet, I just kept forgetting about all the little things that are actually out. I mean, we have Mr. Mercedes Season 3. Yeah. We have uh, Dr. Sleep that's coming around the corner. Mm-hmm. We have In the Tall Grass. It's premiering Creep at show. Fantastic Fest. Creep Show, which mm-hmm. I just did. If you go on Consequence of Sound, it just did this huge elaborate cover story that was we got to visit the set of Creep Show and met Greg Nicotero and Tom Savini, and they're all just huge King fans and talked about Romero, a lot of fun. But then we also have the Institute, as you mentioned, and yep. we also have It Chapter Two and, and I mean, Castle Rock and Castle Rock that's coming oh, out yeah, in October. Premier I mean, date just announced. Yeah, probably the most yeah. insane thing that I, I can't. I'm losing sleep. <laughs> Doctor well, Sleep, over here. Doctor Sleep. <laughs> It was funny last week. So, uh, in addition to writing this it chapter two piece for Vanity Fair, um, I moderated the press conferences that the uh, uh, that Warner Brothers had for it chapter two on their their press day. You know, they have so many press there, and people are doing one on ones, but they don't get everybody. So, um, you know, they asked me to moderate like the the uh, the young losers, the grown up losers, oh my God. The screenwriter Gary Dauberman, and then uh, you know director Andy Muschietti and his sister, who's the producer Barbara Muschietti, and uh, and then Bill Skarsgård. So I like did all these um, all these uh, 
interviews uh, like in front of an audience there. And uh, <laughs> it was funny talking to Gary, just this very thing you mentioned, because, you know, we were talking a lot about like, you know, Stephen King and what he communicated uh, about him with uh, and when writing the script. And he's like, you know, I'm t- I, and I didn't do too much of that, but I'm talking to him now because I'm also doing the screenplay for Salem's Lot, for the new version of Salem's Lot. And I was like, oh, man, I forgot that even Salem's Lot was in the works. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much. You know, people talk about, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 22 movies building to, you know, Avengers Endgame. And it's like, uh, I think Stephen King has 22 movies coming out, too. <laughs> oh, easily. Yeah. <laughs> I, they're not all interlocked and all that, but, like, kind of, you know, like, The Sand is coming, and there's even a Tommyknockers movie in the works. Yep. And like, wow, there's, like, a, like everything is there. It's uh, pretty so, insane. So, we had a joke last episode about uh, an Avengers Endgame-style King where, but it's, it's trucks, and it's... It's just everybody being menaced by the trucks, but it's all the characters <laughs> in the diner that are trapped together, like uh, Carrie and, uh, you know, Cujo, Christine. They're all together. I like that Cujo's like sitting like in that little <laughs> diner or dinette. <laughs> well, what are we going to do about these trucks? Um, you know, well, Cujo what talks I, like, I like the idea of Christine being there and be like, who was here first? Like, that, she, yeah. she, she'd be like the uh, she's like the person who always liked the band and then the band was <laughs> single. Yeah, I love it. always alive. Always killing people. Uh, what, well, what would you say? <laughs> what would you say were some of the coolest things you learned uh, from interviewing? Because you said that you were so enmeshed with the cast and with Gary and with Andy. So it's like, what would you say were some of the cool takeaways that you had from being so immersed in the coverage of it, Chapter Two? Um, uh, I was really interested in a lot of the uh, the. I think the the mechanism for it, Chapter Two, or the it let's just say the it movies, both of them working, uh, and, and, and connecting so strongly, at least, you know, the, the first time around, I know this is coming out before the second one actually hits theaters, but, um, uh, and I know that, that we may be debating about the uh, efficacy of, of it chapter two later in the show, but, but I think one of the things that makes it work is that they really focused on the, let's say like the Shawshank side of King, the stand by mm-hmm. me body side of King, that mm-hmm. a lot of adaptations really go for like, what was the freaky, scary thing in his book? And obviously that's super important, but I think so many filmmakers neglect the, uh, let's call it the touchy feely side. <laughs> Stephen yeah. King, like the, uh, the, the sweeter side, like the, the, uh, um, the affectionate or optimistic side of him. And when you think about the best movie adaptations, those are the ones, the ones that have more of that than the horror are actually the most successful ones. Yep. I think as the filmmakers lean into that. And so it was really fascinating to be on set and talk with these guys and see them, um, really performing this as like a kind of like the big chill, you know what I mean? Like yeah. this is a, a story about, uh, middle-aged or people nearing middle age coming home again. It's very like Thomas Wolfe, you, you know, look homeward angel and you can't go home again. Like <laughs> these are the elements that they're bringing to this, uh, shape-shifting killer clown story. <laughs> and yeah. like, I think that's what makes it not just a ridiculous, uh, B movie. You know, you, we have seen movies about, I mean, how many freaking psycho killer clown films are out there? <laughs> There's something different about it. Um, they, I mean, they may all be spinning off of Pennywise and all that, but like, uh, there's something different about this story that connects on an emotional level. I know. I, I, I mean, apart from like little trivia things or little Easter egg type uh, pieces of business, um, 
it, it, uh, it, that was what most impressed me. And then there are a couple other spoilery things. I don't know if you want to get into that though, because I think we can, because they be uh, seeing the movie. I feel like we're dropping this Friday, right? Yeah. This is going to be running like maybe Thursday okay. night. I'm still yeah, debating. So people which I think are going to be entering this having seen it. I yeah. 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 I think if you're listening right now and <laughs> you haven't seen the movie, probably turn this off if you don't want to be spoiled okay. because we're going to be just going all in on us. Yeah. So, so another thing that I thought was really interesting in talking to Andy uh, Muschietti was the um, there. I think there are a couple of things that people have never really liked about the books, maybe or just didn't quite get. The ritual of Chud mm-hmm. is maybe one of them. Uh, Pennywise's uh, true form is another. And you know, I just remember Andy looking at me when we were standing. Uh, 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 on set and he's like, uh, we're going to make, we're going to make people love that spider. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going to own. Cause I was like, what are you going to do? Cause I, I was there like, uh, you know, you see like in the trailer, even for people who haven't seen the movie yet, the splashdown, what they call the splashdown. That's the place where it looks like molten rock is like yeah. frozen in an ejecta, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, they built that. That was a real place. And Jesus. they, um, yeah, it was God, really impressive. So huge. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they were, they were talking about, I was like, well, how are you going to, you know, it's kind of, that you have this Lovecraftian buildup of, uh, it's in this spider like form. He doesn't say in the book that it's a spider. He just describes like these many arms and eyes and like, it's sort of this Lovecraftian, like it's, it's mind fracturing and you can't really perceive it. The human mind is Mm -hmm. not capable of, of capturing how, uh, profane and obscene this creature is. And so I'm like, how are you going to do that? Because in the TV version, it was just like an, you know, stop motion animated spider. And that didn't, that underwhelmed. And he was like, we're going to make people love that. I think he may have said, like, we make people love that fucking spider. Well, that's funny, <laughs> so, too, because Tommy Lee Wallace, yeah. who directed the, the miniseries, when we interviewed him last year, like, he said that's his biggest regret. And he knew that on set that this is just not working to where they needed to be. Um, that the spider was just disappointing on all different levels and that they really couldn't get to the, the type of budget they needed to actually make it work. And and even so, it seemed kind of too um, Sinbad. I think the, the, what he was talking about was just like this weird adventurous turn that the, the whole miniseries took on that was just that kind of felt out of tone with everything else that was going on. So I think he was pretty self-effacing about that for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And, and, and what did you guys think? I don't know. Maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but like, I thought the, um, the actual solution in the movie was he's taking this form. It's still Pennywise, mm-hmm. but like with like almost this crab like body and it's still a projection that the deadlights really were the entity that sort of smoky swirling light fixture was actually the entity. Yeah. And that, 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 that there was a, uh, uh, you know, that the ultimate defeat of it did not involve physically attacking a giant spider because the spider was just another manifestation of what's in your mind. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I actually really dug all the spider related content in this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was there is big... quite a bit. They foreshadow that a few times <laughs> with a little head. And everything. Like, I kind of love that because it's kind of funny. Like, it felt meta in that sense where it's like, we know you're thinking about the spider from the miniseries. So we're going to give you, you know, we're going to like ease you into spider content here. And mm-hmm. uh, but I dug that. I thought it was cool. And yeah, it, it definitely I, I think the fact that Pennywise's head was always kind of affixed to the spider and the and the Pennywise sort of entity uh, remained um, uh, you know, for like 
uh, what, what's what I'm looking for, like front and center throughout yeah. the whole final battle that we never, you know, that I think that teases the idea that whatever it is, is not something that we can grasp with our minds yeah. and it's, it's going to be the projection throughout. So I don't know. I, I kind of appreciated the fact that it, it, it maintained that illusion and didn't try to give us something that is beyond our comprehension in terms of evil. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, you know, whatever it is that Bev is seeing or whoever is seeing when they look into the deadlights is obviously the, like our, our impression of however horrifying that is, is probably scarier than what they could show us. Yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah. Well, going back just cause you know, we're obviously in dairy. I wanted to go back a little bit back to your interview with King because there are some yeah. revelations in there that are pretty awesome. Um, for one, I was pretty surprised at just how forthcoming he was to talk about the ending for the stand. Um, you know, the fact that he's like pretty much talking about where, you know, Stu and Franny and, you know, the, the, the other chapter that he wrote for there. I mean, that's pretty interesting too, because yeah. that was a huge head turner when he said that, yeah, you know, Hey, I, I wrote another ending for the stand because we talked about controversial endings for it, but like mm-hmm. the stand is often one that people come up with all the time that, you know, when they say, well, what, it, you know, endings that they don't really like so much. So, yep. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, he, I, I didn't think he felt, I, I didn't feel he gave away too much there. I mean, he may have given away that Stu and Franny survive. Yeah. I mean, if that's, <laughs> if that's like, if that's, I guess after 40 years though, like, I mean, come on. Who's, if you're, if you're reading this, and you're like, I was waiting for the miniseries to mm-hmm. tell me what happened there. I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, or I guess if you if you know what who Stu and Franny are, then that's not going to be a spoiler for you. And if you if you if you aren't aware of aren't familiar with the story, you're, I think you're just going to forget those names. Like who the, who the hell are Stu and Franny? Well, you I, know, like I, right. I, I thought so, more I thought more along than the tone of it because you know the whole piece is is specifically geared right. at like the fact that he seems to be a little bit more idealistic, a little bit more like, optimistic, positive, optimistic yeah. tone. And the fact that like, I mean, the thing that's, that I've always loved about the stand ending is that it is kind of like questionable, like, well, is it bad or is it good? Like it's got that Hemingway sort of ending. Whereas it I see, seems I love like, that. And I do too. I really so like that I, That's why I was like, when I read that about, he was going to give them kind of like the happy ending. I, I thought, eh. But I mean, who knows? Yeah. I think when when they said that they were rewriting the ending, I think a lot of us thought maybe they were going to change the Vegas sequence. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there were other things. But if it's just the tag ending, I'm 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 fine with that. You know mm. what I mean? I think that you could still have that. Like, well, what's going to happen to the world? Yeah, give these people a happy ending. That's cool. But uh, yeah, I, did, I was I was surprised to, to see that in the article. Yeah, I I. Th- think that the ending of the stand, the controversial ending is, is one they're going to have to adjust a little bit to, um, in the same way that they adjusted the it adaptation. And, um, you know, that whole hand of God, when the nuclear <laughs> bomb yeah. shows up and I think like it always worked for me, I have to say, not just like, they're, they're, I don't mean to always excuse things, but like, it's, I like that because it, to me, it, what, I didn't think he was saying the literal hand of God comes down from the sky to yeah. smite these people. Mm. I always saw it as, you know, like, you, you, you know, if you, what, what, you remember seeing that video of that nuclear uh, explosion in, in Russia mm-hmm. and you see like, you see like the clouds change, right? There's this boom and the shockwave and then it, it, it creates like this atmospheric disturbance above it. Mm, right. Yeah. So you see like this vapor expand in a in a pure dome and then you see like literally like the clouds change over that area and i always interpreted it as like that's what's happening but also maybe like in a metaphorical sense he was trying to conjure the idea of like here's judgment day for the 
for the wicked, yeah. um, rather than like God has a hand and <laughs> he's come yeah. reaching through space to touch you. Like, and I think I think some people maybe readers are all different, and some people just are more literal in way in less figurative in the way they'll imagine something. So, yeah, I think you know they might just have to make that a little more like symbolic. Well, I I agree with you. I I think, I think it didn't help when the miniseries made it an actual hand. Um, Yes. I think, uh, but in the book, yes, it is more, I I did feel like it was just more kind of like, yeah, I love it in the book. It's just funny because I think I I definitely saw the miniseries first. Like the miniseries is what got me interested in King. So I'll always love it, but it's, it's just, I'll, I'll never forget just the image of that. And it's like such like a smooth, like it's an actual hand with fingers that wraps around the nuke. And it's like, it's an image that will always be with me whenever I read the book. Well, the thing that, uh, you know, having just revisited the miniseries, because my girlfriend hadn't seen it and actually she'd seen part of it, but hadn't finished it. And so we watched it and I'm always surprised and, and not always, I guess this time I was really surprised at just how Christian it really oh, is. Oh, it's very, yeah. It, 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 because they take away so much of the, like, the dark violence and the macabre imagery that's in the book. Yeah. That gives it that sort of, like, overarching, you know, apocalyptic story. And so, it, and, and instead, it's this very, like, PG-13 taboo sexual stuff that's in there. You know, like, when Nadine shows up and you get that, like, that blues guitar yeah. from uh, W.G. <laughs> Stuffy. And, like, that's really all you get, kind of. It's, like, the first two minutes of Red Shoe Diaries before it cuts to the actual, yeah. like, softcore pornography. But then they, like, pull their punches a little bit. So, I'm wondering this, this if, like... This thing was aired on, what, C- was it CBS? What was it it was airing on, on CBS. It, you know, but it, but it, I think... not doing any of that stuff. But I'm wondering... No, but CBS All Access, I mean, the Twilight Zone gets oh, pretty Oh, yeah, dark. no, this is... Well, yeah, but this... This is this is R-rated. the nineties. This is the nineties. They weren't even saying like shit. Or oh, I know. On TV I'm just saying. Time, I'm wondering I mean? like, if that whole Christian tone is going to be in this. New oh, one. I doubt it. You don't think so? Yeah, because for me, it's like it, I I feel like I talked about this a lot on our stand episode. Yeah. I talked about like the Christian implications yeah. and the binary aspect of like good and evil, and how especially in the miniseries, it's couched in Christianity. Totally. Uh, yeah. But in the book, it's not as no yeah it's not as strict as that it's like it's broader ideas of good and evil it's just that some characters are christian and religious but um but yeah i I think they're probably i actually want to write something about this uh it's something i've been thinking about for um for uh the av club like a piece just kind of about the idea of uh doom and fate and uh within a christian realm and how it was you know i'm gonna wait until the series i get screeners or something but it's something that i want to i want to i'm curious how that manifests well hey if you're talking about fate uh look no further than november 1st terminator dark fate starring (laughs) linda hamilton (laughs) general schwarzenegger they're back and they're getting those t-800s i can't Um, wait for the stan mini this miniseries because you know it'll feel i feel like in a way it'll feel like first full circle moment for me because I, you know, the Stan miniseries was my very first encounter with King ever when I was a kid. And so seeing the CBS All Access series, especially because, yeah, King talked to Mick Garris about how he's excited that it's he doesn't have to worry about swearing or violence because, yeah, he can do it. So I'm just really stoked to see what the R-rated version of the Stan looks like. Did did I ever tell you guys about the first time I interviewed Stephen King way Mm. back when the uh, when Rose Red was coming out? Oh, wow. Yeah. Tell us about it. So I was working for the Associated Press at the time, and what was that like? Was it 2002, maybe? 2000, I think it was 2002. That sounds about right. Something like that, maybe 2003. And I was like, I was a huge Stephen King fan. Obviously, you guys know he's a big influence on me, and, and uh, but I hadn't even been covering entertainment for that long, and uh, let alone like get a chance to, to, to talk to him. And I've never met him in person. I only talked to him 
we've only ever had conversations long distance, but I'm like, this was the first time. And I like talked to the editors. I'm like, here's this mini series, you know, the, at the time, the mini series that he did were really, you know, big deal still. Yeah. And, um, they've kind of gone away over the last, uh, more than a decade. But, uh, but like, I was like, can I, what if I reach out and try and get Stephen King to talk to me? And they were like, okay. And I was like, Oh my God, really? I <laughs> so I did an interview with him. And he was great. And it was, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was really fun to talk to him. And he, and I asked that question, like, how do you deal with being on network television and the censorship and the, you know, standards and practices that they have? How, how restrictive do you find that? And he was like, well, you know, that's exactly what I'm afraid of when I'm writing these things, because I do feel like you have to have like these, you do have to have a certain degree of shock, right. Mm-hmm. To, to make a horror story work. And he's like, so I went to them and said, listen, I know you have, I know there's a lot that I can't do, but here's one thing I do want to do. I want one of the characters to, 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 to be racing toward the door and I want the door to slam. I want the door to slam on his hand and not just slam on his hand, but it's going to cut off his fingers. Yeah, I remember that. And I want the fingers to get actually cut off, not just implied, but then you see the fingers land on the welcome mat. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, if you want, you know, if you want me to do this, you have to let me go that far and then I'll have a baseline and I won't go any further, but that has to be allowed, you know, yeah. not just, not just as like, you know, he just wanted that one scene of violence, but like, that's the level of violence I want to have. And I won't go beyond that, but like, that's where we are. That's fun. And, and they agreed. And that gave me my lead, which was when Stephen King wants to cut off fingers, television executives get out of his way. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and, I'm very proud of that. And, and I'm so proud of that, like, you know, 17 years later. <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> well, think about how much has changed because, and this is something that was brought up a lot on the Creep Show set, it's just because of The Walking Dead alone. I mean, I mean granted, that's cable, not network, but think about all the violence in, that's in that. And that wasn't even in like oh, R-rated yeah. movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that was something that was something that was big that I don't think a lot of people realize just how much you could do in cable. I mean, even revisiting like I just put started revisiting uh, the uh, the Americans, and there is mm-hmm. so much stuff that FX puts in there in that first season that is just it's so dark and so you know so daring, and that was on television you know on like regular weekdays at like eight o'clock or nine o'clock and stuff so (laughs) wild i I feel a little bit more optimistic about where we're going with the stand yeah yeah Um, you can definitely overwhelm with violence but i think it it is necessary sometimes to raise the stakes like oh shoot like this isn't just like an old western where somebody gets shot and they go oh you got me and they fall off a balcony like sometimes i'm not a huge violence uh fan myself but like i i do think like sometimes it's necessary to to put a punctuation mark and show that, uh, that there's, uh, there's actual like, uh, um, menace here, you know, mm-hmm, that the, yeah. the, the people you care about here may not be okay. Uh, when, when, when I wrote my own novel, actually, uh, I, 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 I wanted to include a, a scene of violence because there's a terrible thing that happens in the opening of the book. And I wanted people to know that there's some darkness ahead, but I didn't want it to be too much. And I actually had something similar happen to Wet King told me about with Rose Red, I had a character lose a couple fingers. <laughs> and I was like, that's, <laughs> that's bad. That's bad. 
but that's not as bad as things could get. Like nobody was right. killed or, you know, or turned to hamburger, you know? Uh, so I was like, uh, I'm going to steal that from, from, uh, <laughs> from my buddy, Steve, uh, you know, uh, it will, we'll go this dark, but we're not going to go any darker. So if you want to get off the ride now, now's the time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, before we hop into the review, there was one other takeaway from the interview that I loved, uh, cause we've been discussing it on the pod and I think, yeah. you know what I'm yeah. thinking about, yeah. which is like for the Institute, uh, we were always curious, uh, you know, is the shop involved? Yeah. Because, you know, the yeah. story sounded so much like Firestarter and, you know, King hasn't hesitated to bring the shop into other novels. So we were like, this could be really fun. And I've, I was, I'm, I'm the only one who's read the whole you book. You finished right? the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm about a third into it. So. Yeah. I read the Institute and it's funny because um, this isn't a spoiler now because it's in the interview, but I like reached the end and I was like, no mention of the shop, but that doesn't mean that they not weren't still involved in some way, maybe. And then your, your <laughs> interview <laughs> that I read, uh, <laughs> uh, he confirmed. He's like, I thought about it, but then I realized I didn't want it to be and, the government. And I think that's yeah. such a strange thing because, like, we're, we're like Mac and I were talking about this yeah. before recording. Is that like, you know, at a time when it, you know extended universes and cinematic universes, et cetera, et cetera, is such a big thing, and he's pretty much kind of created that map in the way, at least for you know, in modern literature, you'd think that this would be the biggest opportunity to do that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, none of his properties have been able to successfully do that. I mean, except for, well, I guess now, well, now Dr. Sleep, but that is a direct sequel. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe he purposely did that so that they didn't try to connect all this stuff because it it hasn't worked. And I don't think it, I don't think it could work unless you're doing the Dark Tower, but even the Dark Tower movie failed. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know where his head's at with that. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, I think, I mean, you, you read what he said. Basically, I thought about it, but I, then I decided I didn't want it to be the government's. I wanted it to be more of like uh, people who thought they were like vigilante do-gooders, mm-hmm. you know, but clearly well-funded, like a, a, almost like a non-governmental organization. You know, instead of bringing water to uh, like a, a, a parched nation, they, you know, they're they're coordinating these sort of psychic attacks on uh, on on people who pose a global threat, you know, and um, and they're operating kind of beyond government. Yeah, it's so a lot I of dark money. Also, yeah, exactly. I think, but I think that was also motivation, just plot wise. This shouldn't just be like the the United States government doing right. experiments, like mm-hmm. you know. And in a lot of ways, the shop was destroyed too, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. I was really you know, intrigued how did those by guys come back. Yeah, I was intrigued by the, that answer because you know I think obviously, and he said in your interview, it's a very Trump era book, and that's very evident mm-hmm. when you read it. And uh, I mean, sort of right in the first. 10 pages, I think he already yeah. mentions Trump and all. And it comes back too, but it's, it's interesting because yeah, clearly he's not like, this isn't about the American government. It's about sort of the dark money forces that, you know, Trump in, in many ways sort of represents in some ways, like the idea that mm-hmm. they're like, it's, it's, and obviously we're just living in a culture right now. Like we live in this kind of monopolized economy where the billionaires are becoming a tighter and tighter circle and they're controlling more and more and more. And I think, uh, not to get tinfoil hat over here, but it's just like, it's, it's a scary reality. And I like that he taps into that, that this whole idea of, you know, this is what having this much money, you can do things like this, yeah. you know? Or, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like oligarchs, like a, a sort of like oligarch vigilante, group, right? you know, right. like uh, global billionaires deciding how we're going to keep, how we're going to just keep things stable, you know, mm-hmm. but also how are we going to keep things unstable? Right. Uh, which, which I think is uh, another part of it. Yeah. I'm, re- I'm really excited to talk about the Institute. We're going to do a little short episode, not, not a full book episode, mm-hmm. but we're going to be chatting about it in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited to chat about it. I think it's a, it's a cool, to me, I, I kind of call it, 
I mean, just for me, it feels like after the last several books, it's like meat and potatoes king, you know? Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, when I talked to him, I said, I feel like this is um, this is like when Springsteen does. He'll do like an acoustic album and then he'll, yeah. do, uh, <laughs> then he'll do like a cover album of Pete Seeger songs and then he'll do, <laughs> you know, something else that's a little bit offbeat. And then and then it'll be like, no, I'm getting the E Street Band together. And we're going to do another album. Yep. It's different. Yep. It's new. It's still new, but it's like we're, we're playing the hits a little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's it. Sort of. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. The, he also, the Springsteen you know, analogy got, is so perfect. <laughs> that is so perfect uh, for him. I, I also got a laugh out of him. I don't think I included this in the story, but I was like, you know, my other pitch on this story was this is Stephen King stealing back the stuff that the the Stranger Things kids yeah. took from his lawn. <laughs> he, he laughed at that. He was like, yeah, there's a little bit of that. You know? Totally. Absolutely. Because the whole it. small town thing with Hawkins. Yeah, I can yeah. see that for sure. Should we uh, Should we pivot? I, yeah, I'm getting a call. It seems to, it doesn't have a number tied to it, but it says it's from Derry, Maine. Ah. Let me, let me answer it real quick. <laughs> Mike? I, Derry Public Library? <laughs> Mike Hanlon, if you see... Hey, excuse me, sir! Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you better let the poor guy out! Yo, Mike Hanlon, did I have to go? Did I have to get cleaned up? Tell him! Tell him! Tell him I'll see him tonight! Get out! Last chance, told ya! Get out! Get out! All right. Well, we're <laughs> that here was our transition. The- <laughs> that was Just our transition, enough, folks. Mike did have his cell phone up to his yeah, headphones. like I needed it for production <laughs> yeah. value. Uh, but hey, look, we're here in the Dairy Public Library. Uh, we haven't been here in a while to talk about it, and at least not until almost a year. It's been almost a year since we've done our full-on it coverage, where we did I think eight episodes. I think oh that yeah, the book yeah, 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 yeah. That was yeah. good. Uh, fun time for uh, October and November of 2018, and you could see those episodes, and you probably actually have listened to the, those episodes because they're the most popular episodes we have. Did we really do eight episodes I think on we did it? Eight episodes, yeah. yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot. It was it was a hey, it's a big book. And they're like all like three hours each. They are very <laughs> long. Such lunatics. <laughs> yeah. The first I think the first episode where we just we just covered the we called it episode zero because we weren't even planning on doing it. It was supposed to be the first book. And no, then we, we were just, like, we, oh, just, we didn't we're leading up to it, talking about the first book ended up being like two hours. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, hey, you know, we talked about two hour episodes, three hour episodes. This is a very long movie, yeah. uh, and it's uh, almost three hours long, yeah. and uh, almost as long as Avengers Endgame, and hey, it can almost make as much as uh, Avengers Endgame, because this is one of the most anticipated blockbusters of the year, and yeah. I don't say that lightly, because this year has had some big blockbusters in it. I want to say, first and foremost, that when IT Chapter 1 came out, I don't think anyone had any idea how big that movie was going to be and just the, 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 the level of how big it was going to be. I mean, it really did change horror forever. I mean, at this point, because now at this point, you know, Hollywood sees, I mean, Hollywood's always seen, uh, you know, horror as a cash crop, mm-hmm. but the fact that it was making this type of, you know, level of money that say the MCU is making yeah. is insane. And I think, you know, and I, this is just my more, more inference into this, but I have to imagine that the box office dollars changed the trajectory of where the narrative, the scope of of everything for this sequel. Yeah. You know, and maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but it it just seems as if they said, well, how about instead of just making a horror sequel or horror continuation, we're going to go even bigger, better, and try to make an event picture. Yeah. Because that's what the first one ostensibly became. I know? don't think I was saying this to you. I, I, I It might have been you guys, but I was in a conversation recently and somebody was talking about how horror is like, is what horror now is what comedy was like. 
you know, with like the hangover and stuff. Well, just like it's it's like water cooler stuff now, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. like horror is is what everybody sort of unites over. And I think that speaks to the idea that uh, there's a lot more horror movies being made now than straight studio comedies. Yeah. You know, when we think about that. And so. I think that that's be, I think it has something to do with that. I mean, obviously, I think it's something that's been in motion for a while because we've been there's I feel like there's more horror movies coming out every year, at least just this decade in general. But I think I think it really accelerated it in a lot of ways because it seems like even the most uh, casual film fans that I know, they just their favorite things to go see are like studio horror movies, you yeah. know, so and it I think unites uh, fans of like deep horror or like, you know, indie horror and things like that, because I think a lot of horror fans now grew up on Stephen King and that's why Stephen King is supposed in more reverent tones these days than he was 20 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, but also I think it's like, you know, the deep cut Stephen King fans, the casual horror fans, the diehard horror fans. It's every sweet spot. Yeah. And even people who probably don't watch horror who are like, well, this is, everybody's talking about this. I should go see it. Well, and also hit on the the, the 80s nostalgia. Yeah. You know, with that, it also, I mean, it it happened right at the right time for a year to come after Stranger Things. I mean, there's just so many, it's just a remarkable uh, cocktail Mm -hmm. of just, wonders for Warner Brothers and New Line for this movie. And I was on the Horror Queers podcast talking about this, and I believe it actually runs this week. And we just kind of spent 30 minutes just discussing, like, why yeah. it was such a huge colossal hit. And it, it, you could just list, like, 10 to 15 different things. And yeah. it was just this marriage of just perfect harm. It's just chaos. And I love when chaos kind of brings this sort of, like, movement yeah. in, in that respect. But... I don't know. We got the Joker over here. Yeah, right? Yeah. I'm an agent of chaos. Am I Joaquin um, or am I Heath? But I think, and I think with the second movie too, with the momentum that's built up, one of the other things that I think it's benefited from is that it has sort of a built-in pre-production narrative, which is the idea of like, everybody wanted to see who was going to get cast because you get attached to these kids. um, You know that the second one is going to take place with them as adults, but you're already attached to these kids. So you're just like, it it starts that speculation train. So everybody's like, who will play who? And I remember we were throwing out names you know we were well, hey, we fun. were right with the few of them. i know and in, in 24 anthony this is fun in 2014 we did a behold the Stephen huge, king universe yeah we basically in 2014 we we did this wildly ambitious piece where we basically can can uh uh created the Stephen king multiverse and yeah. and what the, what every film would be to tell the Stephen king dark tower narrative basically in full and we i even, mean we got ridiculous we were like meeting at lunches we yes. were like we were hollywood executives we yeah. were all like uh, we're doing we're doing our second meeting on this i feel okay, like great. the seeds of the podcast were there it was there. yeah but basically we and we also like cast who would we we would want to see in it and we said we said Bill Hader, and we said Chastain, right? Yeah, we said Chastain. We said Chastain yeah. and Hader. So I remember we were we were very vindicated in Ch- those moments. Uh, I gotta say though, the Chastain, Chastain's like the center of the bingo card. That yes, has. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not stretching too hard there, but but we were proud of that. But uh, although I want to say way what, before uh, Muschietti was was attached. Oh you know, yeah, we didn't no. know, you know, man. Like yeah, no. Amy there Adams. was talk of Amy Adams. <laughs> yeah, That's, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, and I think honestly, after Sharper Objects, I was like all in on the Amy Adams thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she would have been great I too. Like the, the role would be too, yeah. too close. Well, look, going into this one, Kerry Fukunaga no longer involved at yeah. this point because yeah. they. I mean that that script. I mean as we saw in like two years ago, we did a big breakdown of the original script and we found there were so many similarities between the final product mm-hmm. and his original script mm-hmm. and. You know, he never. I. I mean, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I. Carrie Fukunaga I never wrote the sequel script at all. No, I, I, no. I imagine he might have had ideas and traces of ideas, mm-hmm. but this was you know purely a Doberman 
uh, project. Yeah. You know, and we've covered him over the last couple of years talking about how, you know, he was struggling to get all the, you know, the, the cast back together mm-hmm. and go get him to dairy and how this really did come from his own mind. And then they brought in Jeffrey Jurgison, uh, who I believe did work with like Wonder Woman. Oh yeah. The Wonder Woman writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, this He's is not the credited co- though. He didn't get credited though. Yeah. No. Um, so, I mean, the production going into this was that, you know, I think even before it came out, they knew that there was going to be a sequel. Um, although at the yeah. same, you know, at the same time, they all played that card of like, well, you know, if it's a hit, <laughs> well, if the, if the first one had bombed, the sequel would have gone away. But yeah. You know, a big, I don't think it, I don't know, is this how well known this is, but almost everything has a sequel planned for it now. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the plan is there because you don't want to be caught flat footed. Like, Oh shoot, we made this thing and it worked. Like, what do we do now? So the plan is there for two or three movies. And then the escape hatch is always there in case, uh, oh, I guess Dark Universe uh, and the Mummy is not going to take off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cancel that. Forget about that. Yeah, the big controversy this week was Dark Fate being like James Cameron touting three movies now. And people are like, do they not learn their lesson? I mean, they've done this with like Terminator 3, <laughs> yeah, Terminator 4, hold, hold 5. Hold the press conference and the photos of the, the future of this franchise before the first movie comes out in tanks. You know? Yeah. But I think it's so interesting with it because, like, that is not the story. Yeah. You know, like, the whole story is, I mean, what was so controversial with some of the readers was the fact that they actually split the kids from the adults. Yeah. Because, I mean, literally the first scene you see in the book is the first scene of this movie. Yep. Which is kind of wild to think that that's... <laughs> yeah. To kind of pull those the, those details together. And imagine a universe where it did flop and you never got to see the rest of the. Well, I guess the kids <laughs> defeated them. It's over. Um, well, it is interesting I mean, because the second movie operates a lot more like the book in yeah. that we, the memories sort of give us, lead us to scenes with the children and then they bring us back to the adults. Mm-hmm. And the, mm-hmm. the, the youth is much more intertwined with the adults in the second one. So it operates a lot more like, uh, like I was talking to a friend of mine at work who was also at the early screening and he, that's what he said was his favorite part about the sequel was that it felt a lot more like the book in the sense that uh, they were the the two timelines were more intertwined and as such i was shocked by how much the kids were involved you Mm -hmm. know in this movie i thought they were going to maybe be in a handful of scenes but they you know they they carry a big chunk of this movie too yeah and and honestly that's something that muschetti like was basically striving to do when we i mean back when we talked to him in 2017 yeah the thing he said was exactly what you know anthony had just mentioned with like the you know the press conference is that he strives to you know prioritize character and heart Mm -hmm. over anything and i feel like you had to have that back and forth between the kids and the adults to make that happen in this movie you know um and i actually look you know now that the movie's out and we can talk about it, we've hinted at it in the last episode, but I actually feel like this movie does have a lot of ties to Endgame in the sense that, um, you know, everyone goes off and tries to find some sort of totems, you know, or mm-hmm. icons that they need to have for themselves. And they go into the past, they're digging into the past. There's very, a lot of like back to the future two illusions there and stuff. But I actually like the framework that they have where they basically, you know, like Mike gets them all into the, 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 you know, the, the hut and like says, Hey, all right, you guys got to go off on your own to mm-hmm. do your own walking tours. Like they took the walking tours and they really made it the fabric of this movie. Yeah. Um, so I actually, like that outline i don't know if that yeah i mean and he also he makes it more active in the sense that okay you're not going to just go experience memories you need to go get something yeah like get something that that represents that time for you yeah and i I didn't mind that i thought that 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 was an interesting addition to the piece and 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 made those walking tours a little bit more 
purposeful, I guess, in that yeah. sense. Uh, I, yeah, I thought that that was fine for me in terms of additions. What were, you, what were your thoughts, Anthony, on like the outline or the framework for this movie? I thought it was uh, pretty strong. Like, I, I like the back and forth. I like seeing the kids again. I think it's important to see the kids because it brings back that emotional connection you have to the original story rather than just these are the adults and you're supposed to keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, sort of on your own, you know, uh, I like seeing the reflection such as it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I thought, um, I do feel, I I understood why they separated it and just told the kid's story the first time around. But I do think the adult story doesn't work without some interaction with the past. Again, it's that you can't go home again element of the Mm -hmm. story. Yeah, I, I also um, understand why they separated the, the way they did it because if the first movie did not do well, then you have it, it could it could essentially be its own film. Yeah, because if you had the adults in that first film and it didn't pan out, you know there's more story to tell and they're just never going to get there. Yeah, you know I mean, so I understand why they did that. I I just that's why I'm look I I more look forward to the the possibility of them recutting this now going yeah. back because for me I just felt like they never really were able to get me to invest in the adults because so much of the second half was still with the kids in a, in a major mm. way. And I love all that kid stuff. I love all this, that stuff in the sequel, but I felt like it really undercut the, the adult. I, I just never felt like they were really connected or I didn't, I didn't feel that, that friendship level there or camaraderie. I mean, the Jade sequence is like five minutes long, you know, I, you know, I just, I felt like they kind of rushed through certain things that I needed to connect to those characters to make the flashbacks, to make me feel the flashback importance, you know what I mean? Well, and that's the thing, the biggest thing that I've been talking about coming out of this movie are those cuts. Yeah. You know, because that's honestly, you know, Randall and I, we write news like mm-hmm. nonstop every hour. <laughs> and honestly, <laughs> I've had to write so many stories and just the different director's cuts, the different things that they've been teasing. And walking out of that movie, out of this movie, the first thing I thought of was just, oh my God, they cut so much stuff out. Yeah. And there has to be so much that they have on the the floor, which is why I'm not surprised that so much of um, Muschietti's quotes are tied to these director's cuts or some sort of cut that he's working on. I mean, I, I don't know if you know anything about these cuts, Anthony, but like... I the big debate for us has been like, all right, well, he said that he's created a cut with both movies. Now, obviously, just seeing this movie, it's so easy to connect them. It's very similar to like Halloween 2 or something like that, where you could just easily just lace, just cut out the ending or keep the ending of the first one and just go right into how they do it with this one. I mean, because it literally picks up right picks where up the last. The ending yeah, it's exactly. So, but the big question I think on every fan's mind right now is. Well, with all the extra footage and the fact that he has two different director's cuts for the first one and the second one, is he going to make a comprehensive cut that actually aligns more like the book where we actually do start out with like Adrian Mellon and then we have the adults and we go back into the kids stuff. And, you know, do you think he's going to make something a little bit more intricate that way? I don't know. So it's tough for me to speculate. Um, uh, I think sometimes, too, he... Uh, will uh, postulate about things yeah. and uh, <laughs> ideas and that people go, oh, yeah, that's definitely going to happen. Like, you know, hey, there's material for a third movie. Like, you could definitely expand upon Pennywise. And people are like, oh, there's going to be a third film. Like, yeah, that's, that's Sometimes true, yeah. people take a leap when he talks about, like, the possibility of something. That said, look, I think if It Chapter 2 really works well, I don't – I could imagine Warner Brothers saying, you know what would be neat? Let's put out – 
you know, something like Coppola did with The Godfather, part yeah. one and two, where he wove them together, and we'll do that as like a special streaming option or something. And um, I could see people, I would watch that just to see what it is. Uh, it would sort of like, it's sort of just like be like a remix album, you know? Yeah. But I don't, but I do also feel that he's pretty happy with his, I feel like these are the director's cuts, you know what I mean? So sometimes... Uh, it's not like, oh, he, he had to leave so much out that he didn't want. I mean, he told a story in the press conference about a scene, uh, and I'd have to listen to it again to, 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 to remember for sure whether they shot this. Cause sometimes there were things in the script that they liked. And in fact, there's something I'll tease about a certain cameo in the movie. Uh, they had another element of that that was in the script that they didn't shoot. So I'll just leave that there for, well, for a bit. Uh, but like, but there are things they had that they didn't shoot and there were things they shot that they had to cut. But there was one sequence he talked about where after the Adrian Mellon murder, Mike goes back and he begins making his phone calls to the, to the losers to alert them that it's time to come home. And Pennywise appears to him in his, uh, in his, attic yeah in his room above the library and um and says like they um he says like they're coming they're gonna come get you and he's like well I'll, you know this time i'll beat them and mike goes no this time um we're gonna be we're gonna beat you once and for all because we believe you know mm-hmm. that's the strength we have is we believe and pennywise goes yeah, but you believe in me. <laughs> and like that's, that's like, that's a pretty good exchange. And I can see why they got rid of it because they just needed to get the losers back to Derry and start, you know, uh, start the slow burn of Pennywise reappearing. But, um, but that's still a great moment. Yeah, and yeah, there's, there's they believe hints of in that. me. And there's hints of that too. I mean, it's especially mm-hmm. at the end when Mike says no, but this time we believe. So that's yeah. why this is this the ritual should was going to work. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, that would have been cool. And so yeah, I, I I do think that a longer you know like we were talking about the hateful eight yeah uh, Netflix, the Netflix expanded you know four part. I I, I kind of hope that they do do that because I, I feel like I will if we just get you know the phone call to Bill. And then we get a lot of Bill's story from part one. Yeah. I feel like I would be more invested and more connected to those characters. I just felt like having them show up in only this, this movie, it, it was just hard. It was hard for me to connect to them. And is this, is this a good place, me. Mike, to like, to discuss maybe some of the more fundamental Absolutely. issues? Absolutely. I think, I think I'll float. There's so, so float. Hey, uh, oh, uh, float up here. I think, I think for me, there's like, and the thing is I've actually, I was pretty harsh on the movie. Like right when I came out of it, Mike yeah. knows, uh, but I think I've softened on it a little bit, like as I've thought about yeah. it over the last like couple of weeks. And I'm glad that I've had the time to think about it. Yeah. But I, I still think that the things that really, where I think that it falls a little bit short is in two kind of key things. And one is like you mentioned already, this film leans so hard on the first movie. It does. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, uh, that's, that's built into the story because mm-hmm. youth and memory and all of that is really built in. And we spend so much time with the kids, but I think that the kids were so well developed in the first movie and we get to see those bonds uh, continue in this movie that, uh, I feel like they do so much of the heavy lifting mm-hmm. and we're supposed to sort of like graft what we feel about those kids onto the adults in a way that I don't feel like the film um, necessarily earns that. Cause I, I, I like 
individually the losers as adults, but it's hard for me to like buy the bond. Like you said, I wish we spent more time in the Jade, uh, you know, the Jade of the Orient. Well, and just, I, I wish that we uh, spent more time getting them back. Who are they in their individual lives? Like yeah. we see bits of it, but it's all, it, it feels so rushed. You and that's know? what I felt was most cut. I mean, like the yeah. fact that like, you know, they, when they cast Audra and they cast Tom, I was convinced that they were going to do, their storylines yeah. and especially given the, the people that they cast. Um, Anthony, do you know if they filmed uh, sequences with Audra and Tom? Um, you mean in the conclusion, like that they are captured? Uh, yeah. I don't like, believe they did. Uh, interesting. Wow. Because yeah, like those are, those are notable actors yeah. and uh, they really don't serve much of a purpose. Like I kept waiting there. There are moments in the, in the third act where they notice someone or they hear someone and I was convinced it was going to be Tom yeah. or, it was, or there was going to be some sort of, you know, addition with Tom or Audra. I kept waiting for them to pop up. And granted, it's because obviously we're voracious readers of Stephen <laughs> King and we also love the miniseries and what, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I do like those storylines, but too. it seems like and Mac and I were talking about this walking around the other day. We're just, it seems so weird to even introduce Audra if you're not going to actually have anything with her. Though. Yeah. Like you know, you, you could have just had. No, well, here's why. Here's yeah. why you do that uh, on a practical uh, satisfaction level is uh, you have this love triangle between Bill and Ben and uh, Beverly. Yeah. And uh, if she's going to end up with Ben, you as the audience are aware that Bill is not going off alone. He's not being shunned. Like he has a relationship. So it kind of makes it okay that they're together it, it, because Bill, you, you get, you get to have your cake and eat it too. Like Bill get uh, Bill, Bill goes back to his lovely wife, the actress. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I think this was part of King's original story is, is that you set up a love triangle, but then you also don't set up uh, any dis- disappointment for the bill for the bill uh, stands. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish they made Audra so, a little more likable than <laughs> knowing he's going to yeah. go back to this woman who like doesn't like his right. <laughs> you know, what's wild is that's that actress is just, uh, yeah. Jess Wexler from teeth. Do you guys yeah. ever see teeth? Yeah. I love, love teeth. teeth. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I met her, this is like a little name drop story, but I met her at a, at a party, right? Like, and I, saw, I had seen teeth, and it was like a, that was like a really big movie for her. She'd been in some other stuff, and I was like, I love this. This was like such a fun movie at Sundance. This great midnight movie. It's cool to meet you. And she's like, Oh, cool! I want you to meet my roommate Jessica. It was Jessica oh, Chastain? Wow. Oh, wow! That's, That's interesting. Funny. <laughs> Who at that point, I think she had done like, I think Mama a couple, probably, right? couple of no, 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 no. no Mama was years not yet. before that. Yeah. Oh, wow! This was like this was like. Uh, is it uh, she she had done like uh, Jolene was Jolene the yeah, movie Jolene, like, yeah she, yeah I think she had done Jolene and that was it and I was wow. like oh cool nice to meet you what's your Justine and she's like no Jessica Chastain <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. oh my god that's well that's crazy. a fun little story like he's drawn between the the roommates yeah uh, okay yeah yeah exactly I thought but she thought it was cool that she ended up getting the part because those two are really close so. yeah uh, well um, you know in terms of like aesthetics and and whatnot with the film and you know obviously if there's things that are cut and we'll find out down the road but in terms of like you know for this section we want to talk about more of like the direction like the 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 music i was totally fine with uh you know i i thought that the aesthetically and 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 the the sweeping shots and the the way that he caught you know that muschetti captures dairy again were all great and gorgeous and wonderful and i there's so many precious moments that kind of connected again with the first one the one thing that that really hit hard that hurt the film for me was just 
the tonal inconsistencies a little bit sometimes. You know, I felt that you yeah. know they're the the humor mm-hmm. for the, the for the most part. I felt that they managed to kind of mediate the horror and the humor in the first one uh, a little bit more efficiently than they did yeah. in this one. Where, look, I I think that humor is definitely a reaction to horror all the time. You know, like I, one of my f- things examples I love to pinpoint, and this is going to be a little Halloweenies connection, is when Paul Rudd freaks out in Halloween's The Curse of Michael yeah, Myers yeah. and just kind of starts laughing. And I think that's such a natural response, but I also don't think it's so natural to be just like doing bits when yeah. like there's like genuine horror that's happening. And I felt that there was a little bit too much of that here. Yeah. Um, I mean, we Ooh. point, I mean, obviously we can kind of dissect a little bit more when we get into like the heroes and villains section, yeah. sure. but that was just something that for me that, that didn't really connect that well. Well, you me, know, that you actually know? speaks to my other fundamental issue, which is that um, I think when you're dealing with something that's as unwieldy as it, like yeah. I think that's a good word for it. Uh, there's so many different set pieces that are unfolding uh, throughout this whole thing that are leading to a confrontation is that and is that um, unless it's all really well unified, mm-hmm. it feels I, this film to me felt really patched together. I can see the seams, you know, yeah. like it feel, felt like we had an idea for a good set piece here. Uh, and I think specifically uh, for the example, I think is is Eddie. Uh, in the basement yeah. of the pharmacy Absolutely. and the scene where his yeah. mom's tied up and the leper shows up and there's puke and there's a weird music cue and there's humor, but also horror. And the, and I didn't fully like, you know, that whole section is really in the book is really embedded with the pharmacist specifically yes. and the anxieties over his medication here. It seemed to kind of speak to his relationship with his mother, but it felt more so like a vessel for an idea for a set piece than something that actually spoke to. Yeah. Yeah. Then that spoke to like Eddie's um, uh, real fears. And so there were a few moments like that. And I felt like the scenes that were sort of bridging uh, the different set pieces were those ones in the hotel in the lobby with uh, Ben, Bill uh, and Bev, but none of those pieces really felt to me, uh, I don't know. They felt a little bit thin and it mm-hmm. was hard for me to grasp. And I think when I look at those scenes versus the set pieces, sort of I'm looking, I'm looking at the whole middle chunk of the film. Yeah. Those were the scenes that I really struggled with. Cause it felt to me like uh, a series of puzzle pieces that were mashed together. Yeah. And that's and, a fitting uh, uh, imagery because they use puzzle pieces in this movie. Yes, that's true. Transition. And so, yeah, I think that to me, that's, that's sort of when I think about something that I struggled with was I, I just didn't feel like, and it felt like certain coincidences were happening happening like i don't know or not maybe not coincidences but like the skateboard bit you know yeah, with yeah. bell felt a little bit cheesy to well, me. honestly that whole sequence right there which is such a important moment for them to start building the characters especially that sort of tension between you know the three ben, uh, bill and uh, bev yeah it was just flat i mean I, I keep reminding of like the scene with harrison ford and carrie fisher in force awakens when it's just like snoke it, it was snoke snoke did it you know it was like a lot of exposition <laughs> instead of any real emotional dialogue yeah. and you're like and that's and that's another key pivotal moment in that scene the reason why i always bring it up because it's like wow this is the first time we're actually seeing han solo and princess leia or general leia get back together again and it's all exposition yeah. and it's no emotional dialogue there which was such a big huge weird thing for me considering that you know Lawrence Kasdan is just the king of it we mentioned the big chill earlier but um you know with this one you that that was your moment to actually have like some of that beautiful fun personal human dialogue that was in the first one that just 
in well, those the magic that was gone. between them previously, and yeah. and I think that speaks to obviously my first fundamental issue, which is that I had trouble really buying the relation the the bond between these characters. At times, I think it's fun. Um, uh, like what we saw in the Jade was good, yeah. but I needed a little bit more of that personally because I'm I love the bonds between the kids, and yeah. I didn't want to rely on the bonds of the kids to engraft them onto these of the adults. So. Right. I don't and know. That, and that, no, that was my thing too. Yeah, I, just, yeah, I yeah. wanted the the adult. I wanted the adult bond to be there and be stronger so that when you got to the kid stuff, it was a nice like, oh, yeah, I, I do. I remember I love the kids. Yeah. But you didn't have to rely on them to tell the emotional bits of the story. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Ebony? Yeah. Is any of this resonating with you? I, I agree that there was um, there should have been um, a little more uh, care taken to make the Eddie character a less of a comic relief character. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think he just too often seemed like he, everything was a joke with him, you know, mm-hmm. and including getting stabbed in the face. I, <laughs> yeah. You know, they played that for laughs. I know. I uh, was a little odd, but, yeah. uh, and, but and that, I think that was also his whole character was defined by that, that he was always in sort of crazy danger and getting hurt. He's sort of the Kenny of the losers. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> yeah, for real. Well, I, and, I, and I've thought about that a lot because Eddie is, uh, I've started connecting a little more with Eddie considering that that's pretty much who I am in this losers club. And um, <laughs> we, I am OCD and I go to a different, eight different dermatologists and I have a, pretty much the same travel kit that he does. And you hang out with that leopard down the street. <laughs> and I do hang out with the leopard all the time and he's always asking me to, you know, suck it. Um, but no, um, the thing is, um, <laughs> the, uh, the thing that was, that I've, I've wondered if the reason why they did that comedic humor is because of the, the so the ending they maybe thought that that was going to hit a little harder when you're like yeah. oh he's funny but oh wait shit he's going to die well yeah. I think what what happened with it is the, the kid does such a fantastic fucking job at, at that character yeah. and he's r- so much more funny in, the, in this movie than he is in the miniseries yeah in the miniseries he's just he's kind a of little neurotic, old man you know <laughs> he's yeah, a sweet yeah, little he boy is, he, is. he is an but old in man the, in, in, in this movie they really that 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 kid like owned that and and became almost like a richie kind of he's character. like a richie too so it's hard because you've got all of these if you have two richies now in the movie and and there's so much comedy and then even we were talking earlier about you know that scene with mike and bill when he's tripping uh on 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 you know the peyote-esque stuff and, yeah. walk, and then that's played for laughs too it's just any time they can play a laugh they play it and i think that really undercuts the suspense and the terror that should be sitting there underneath everything driving this movie forward so that we really are terrified i, did, I just didn't feel like any of these people were in, in real peril no, you know I mean? and, and like, I wonder if that has to do with the punch up. Because yeah. think about who did the punch up. Like, you know, Jeffrey Jurgensen, if he came in and they felt that, you know, Doberman's script is a little too dour, a little too flat, and they wanted some of the humor of the first one. I mean, look, no, no, no offense to Gary Doberman, but his, none of his scripts are funny. Like, all his past movies are really dour experiences that have characters that are running with their fucking heads, you know, screaming off. <laughs> So there's, I can't imagine I'm attributing too much of the, the humor to him. Yeah. So I do wonder if a lot of it, like, you know, Jurgensen just went in there and just punched up everything like yeah. a Marvel movie, you know, which maybe, would, and, and you know, it's hard because to walk, you know, there's a lot of great horror films that walk that line, that, that comedy yeah. horror line really well and are still able to maintain it's, it's, you know, scary moments. Yeah. So I, I get why they were putting that stuff in there. It was just, for me, it was too much. You know, when people are laughing at moments that are supposed to be terrifying mm-hmm. 
And um, and then there are moments that are punched up, and there's moments that weren't punched up, but people were still laughing. Yeah. And I know that sometimes people laugh when they're terrified because you know my dad does that when when he's when he's uncomfortable, he just starts laughing. I remember he was telling me once about my hamsters died and he couldn't get through it without laughing the whole time. And you're like, you're like this <laughs> isn't funny. He's dad. uncomfortable by death and by like things that are, are scary or just, just a things like that. Story. Like people laugh, <laughs> but like when it's so much so that you know when you have like. Pennywise dying, shriveling, and people are just cracking up. It's just like uh, we think we 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 lean too hard on the comedy. Now people don't understand that this when when it's trying to be serious, yeah, mm. and when it's trying to be poignant. You know, yeah. Did you have people laughing when that happened? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there was yeah. some laughter in that moment in our to, theater, at least. To be honest, though, when you go see these screenings, it's kind of like the biggest mishmash of everybody and people that maybe don't even go see movies, and so it's like. You kind of have to take with a grain of salt sometimes those audiences, but yeah. Should we should we pivot to yeah? Is look, it time to talk about characters? Hey, I'm getting a little cold <laughs> in the library. I think I need to head over to the Barons to talk about some heroes and, and villains. villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, Massa. <laughs> oh, look at this! Uh, the Barons, uh, nobody's touched it in the 27 years that we've uh, been gone. How about that? Oh, wow. Uh, who do we want to start with? Do we want to start with, uh, you know, do we want to go sequentially into the movie? You I know? think we should start with probably the character who a lot of people are talking about after the screenings, which is Richie and Bill Hader's um, performance. Yeah. I mean, first off question, mm-hmm. anybody really shocked that Bill Hader is is being touted as the MVP of this movie? I mean, <laughs> Not no, really. I mean, it's perfect casting. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really loved... Uh, what they did with Richie's character in this. And I think that now that we can totally talk about it uh, in the last episode, we didn't get the ready road uh, yeah. uh, oh, reference yeah, there, right. which is killing me because that was one of the things I talked about the most after the screening. Um, they, you know, basically hinted at sexuality in this movie. Um, and, you know, there's a more of a romantic uh, kingling. I, you know, my girlfriend, uh, Samantha was basically saying that it felt like as if they were kind of answering the fans online because following it chapter one, everyone was kind of shipping Richie and Eddie. Uh, and people love was, to ship preteen boys, right? Love, yeah. Right. That's a little weird, but, but at the same time, like, I think that's, they were definitely kind of answering onto that. And like, obviously he does have like a love for Eddie here. There's that, that whole flashback with the, the movie theater with the coin, which yeah. is being his token. With Henry's uh, cousin. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I thought that that was actually, that was probably like the biggest surprise of the movie for me. Yeah, I definitely was not expecting that. No, I was not expecting it. I, it to me, it felt a little shoehorned in there because I didn't pick up on any of that in the first movie. Yeah. And if they were answering fans, that makes sense that they put it into this movie. And again, I think that that's something that could really be served if they reordered this thing and maybe have that sequence earlier on. Yeah, and, and, you know what I mean. And yeah, because like I, 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 I'm totally fine with that. That's what they're going to do with that character. And you know, I, I just it, it kind of came out of nowhere for me. And uh, you know storytelling wise but yeah. it really posits Richie as the emotional core of the movie which oh, totally. is which is a big shift from the book yeah, and yeah, obviously yeah. the 90 mini series where Harry Anderson is uh, just cracking cracking one liners the whole time so. oh, who, who's this oh, Eddie guy yeah. um, <laughs> well you have him doing it because none of the other characters are very funny and that <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> but now it's like you've got all these people that are actually really you know funny human beings and they're they're all of them as kids were really funny so it's it's hard the, to figure out who's going to be the joker of the of the group in this one. The only thing I didn't like about Richie in this is that he basically was like the Michael Bluth 
where he just kept being like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm yeah. done. I'm leaving. And it, they like did that, that in the miniseries too. But he does it so many times in this movie that I'm like, all right, we, we only have like two hours and 45 minutes. Do we need really need another scene where he's like saying he's going to leave again? Well, you and, know? And, and that was my thing too with this was they, everyone's doing that. Yeah. You know, and it's because of the, some of the changes they make with Mike, which we'll talk about later. But I felt like it's fine if one person is doing that. But if everyone's like, we're all just going to leave. It, it's I don't know. It just didn't yeah. it didn't quite work. But I do really like Bill Hader in this movie. Even when any time he's chewing the scene or making something up, you can tell. I Randall leaned over to me at one point. And he's like, that, that, was, "That had to have been improv." Yeah, that was that line, improv. Yeah. He's in the car. I think when he's when he's when he's heading to and he ends up at Stan's. Uh, yeah, at the Misfo or whatever. Um, but uh, I did like. I did really like Hater, um, but I knew I was going to like Hater. Yeah, and I, I, and I and I wonder if it's because of Hater that they leaned on him to be the funneling for a lot of the the emotional uh, resonance with the the losers and like that feeling and passage of time because he really does carry the weight in that as you mentioned. Yeah, uh-huh. Anthony, what did you think about uh, sort of the addition of like Richie's sexuality, his relationship with Eddie, how that evolved? Because that's a pretty bold addition. It's a big addition, yeah, and I I liked it a lot. To be honest, I think that's one of the factors that's missing from the identity of the losers. You know, when I wrote about the movie for my piece for Vanity Fair, it was uh, about how the losers are kind of archetypes for mm-hmm. different types of uh, vulnerable people. You know, you have a an African American kid, a sickly kid, uh, an abused girl, a heavy boy, a Jewish boy. Like they're all they all have kind of an identity, you know what I mean? Beyond right. just their personality, which I think is actually really cool. I, like I make the point, we know them. They're actually really finely drawn characters. You know them on a first name basis, but they're also recognizable as a type, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Cause we all knew like the heavy kid in school who got made fun of, or if you're the only, uh, minority, whatever your <laughs> ethnicity or race, like <laughs> if you're the only one you get singled out for things. And, um, uh, and then there's the you know the stutterer who has trouble communicating and is isolated. But but what is Richie? You know what is Richie? He's the class clown who's covering up a lot of insecurities. That's a type too. That's not uh, that's not nearly as significant as somebody who's LGBTQ. You know, like right. somebody oh, who. Uh, and and I think uh, that that was not. Um, something that King necessarily, I mean, he wrote about it with Adrian Mellon and, and I think made a part of the book in that sense. But, um, I don't think he, I don't think he had, I know for a fact he didn't have that in mind when he wrote it, that Richie and Eddie were an item or had a, you know, that Richie had a crush on, on Eddie that was unrequited because it couldn't be expressed at the time. Um, but I like that it was added to the movie. I think that's a missing piece to the, um, to the puzzle, you know, as we said, um, I think that that adds a good dimension and um, and you'll see a story from me soon with King's response to that, which Ooh. is also uh, really interesting. Oh, <laughs> yeah. A little preview yeah. for you listeners there. Yeah. A little preview. Yeah, that'll come out after, you know, once the movie's out, uh, we'll, we'll be putting that up. But, um, you know, his thoughts about how that fits in with the Adrian Mellon scene at the opening. and Yeah, that's, he, that's I, really interesting. I will say he 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 really liked it. Uh, cool. So that's I can cool. tell you that no, he thought yeah. it was one of those cases where he was like, I didn't have that in mind, but uh, that's a cool addition. What, yeah. if, what if he would just went off on it? Just like, <laughs> <laughs> just like, no, I'm against just, that. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, like, um, oh my God. I think another interesting character to talk about is Mike, because mm-hmm. I feel like Mike, uh, 
Mike and the like Isaiah. Um, wait, what's his last name? Isaiah, Isaiah Mustafa. I, Isaiah, Isaiah Mustafa. Mustafa. Yeah, he. I thought you know a really bold take on Mike too here, yeah. and it, also it seems like they pivoted away from the idea that he was suffering from addiction issues because that yeah. was something that came out early. I have yeah. a feeling, and and maybe I'm wrong, but I have a feeling just because of the idea that he was taking these 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 drugs and having these visions and stuff that that got spun a bad way because yeah. I don't think. I mean, maybe yeah, I I'm wrong right. about that, but yeah. I think it totally, I think they, they somehow they got their finger on the fact that he, he did this, the smokehouse thing, you know, with mm-hmm. the Indians and, and, and that apparently he's a drug addict, but I, that, cause that didn't, well, I, will, at all I have the, to cop to, I, I have to cop to this because Andy told me that he was like, he's going to be, he's addicted to drugs and this has this effect on him. And, uh, you know, I think I may have been the one who put that out into the world and, you know, I was basing it off of what Andy told me he was planning to do. And I think, I don't know if they changed it because of the reaction that that got. But huh. if you look at Mike, he's homeless. Like yeah. he's yeah. living at work, <laughs> like yeah. in a cubby upstairs. And he's kind of like this, uh, you know, he looks very respectable when we first meet him and all that. But then as the story goes along, we we realize he's really kind of crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's got them, he's got this plan that he thinks is going to work. That's not, and he's hiding pieces of it that are uh, disturbing <laughs> and unsettling. Yeah. So he, they don't make him a total, you know, like a, a drug. I, I don't think he was ever going to be like a junkie in an right, alleyway. Right, right. right. I think it was more like um, he's not Tim Reed in it, the miniseries, where he's you know this buttoned up prof- professorial type mm-hmm. dairy historian. He's a little, he's a. He's a whack job. In yeah. There. yeah. So <laughs> I actually like, like that twist a lot. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's smart. I think it's an interesting way to reinterpret the character. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and I think Isaiah does a really good job. I, I think that he's sort of saddled with, by virtue of that, he's sort of saddled with some of the more fantastical aspects Absolutely. and the more, uh, but mm-hmm. which I think, at t- I think that's good sometimes, but I think it also uh, sometimes the only emotion he has to play is like manic is the is the phrase that like yeah. it, it comes to mind. Like when I think about um, yeah. the latter parts of the movie, which I think uh, he almost gets saddled with too much of the uh, of the sort of like big planning. Uh, yeah. We have to defeat a cosmic entity and it is driving me crazy. And I feel like like he does his best to sort of overcome the uh, like the the wackiness of it. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's, yeah, it's tough. I mean, honestly, when he, he would, oh, go for it. He also doses Bill, like uh-huh. so. You know, I think this guy is using the mind-altering substances to. Uh, he's telling himself, "I need this for my research." Mm-hmm. But he reminds <laughs> me of the writer, well, or very much like Steve, right? Who uh, I need this. I need these drugs to keep going. Like yeah. this is the source of my creativity. And you're lying to yourself. But you're also justifying it and then, hey, maybe you should try it too. Now you'll see, right? You see. You see what I mean? And like I do feel like it's still there. It's just it's just that he's not like – he's not in a shelter and he's not hospital. You know what I mean? He's a mm-hmm. functioning drunk in yeah. a way, or a functioning addict. Uh but still damaged. But also, like, who could blame him? Like, he's yeah, living exactly. dairy. He's the one who didn't get away. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, in, in a way he's – He's living in a gaslit, a gaslit existence. Like he knows what's happening, but nobody else there does. Nobody else sees this, uh, is aware that they're being, uh, manipulated by this evil presence or, or that their actions are nourishing this evil presence. Yeah. That's really, and he's got to live with it and nobody, 
to explain it to anybody makes him sound crazy. So you kind of self-medicate. I know? guess I, I guess my 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 issue with the mic changes is that he's one of my favorite characters in the book and in the miniseries, and he's he is he is the these one of the strongest characters I think and and rocks of the group, and they really turn him into. I felt like they turned him into a bad guy. Now, I don't mind this, the, the idea of him maybe doing these drugs and kind of like the Stephen King-esque-ness of it and doing, you know, like you said, he's in Derry. He's living in Derry. Yeah. And this is a nightmare town. And yeah, I would, you'd have to escape sometimes and get out of it. You have your own head. But I feel like having him be this person that they, they kind of turn him in like the whole Jade sequence to this, this person that's manipulated them to coming there and purposely didn't tell them about the clown. Otherwise, they wouldn't have come. And... They all like don't like him. They all want to leave at that point, and then he purposely takes that information about the uh, the the ritual chud and doesn't tell them about that too. So I just felt like they took this one character, and 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 it also didn't. It was strange that they took away his whole historian arc in the first movie and gave it to Ben, but then still have him be this you know the, the one that's staying behind and diving into all that stuff. I, I just felt like his character was really mishandled. I thought that the actor did fine. I thought he was really good in the movie, and I like that. And I, I think this is something that also maybe would have served better if there was more of the adults and we saw more of him and. To me, it just—I just didn't like how they kind of turned him you into thought he was this. A little manic. Yeah, no, it wasn't even the manicness. It was just they just turned him into kind of this liar. I, I didn't like it. I, yeah. I think I think what I do because I, I see both sides, and I agree in, in a lot of respects with with that too. Because I think that the the sort of turn that he gets, he kind of gets like the blunt end of things at the end, which they definitely contend with aftermath with like between Bill and and Mike on the phone, which I'm glad they have in that scene where Bill is clearly on the set of Stand by Me, and um, <laughs> yeah. I you know I, I really I, I yeah what, wasn't that, it, 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 that everybody else felt that way too? I felt oh, that yeah, like the yeah. kids were going to be running around with like a, a you know a towel and stuff in the background but um <laughs> the thing i liked about mike though is that is it, it does show the weight of the world on his shoulders and just how desperate he is to to get not just a fix because that's the attic mentality is the fix but to get away from it and he was going to take any fucking measure it took to 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 do that and it didn't matter if it if he knew that his friends would have to be sacrificed and i think that's something that the movie doesn't fully contend with in, in ways of the, the ramifications of his actions, because what he is doing is he is manipulating everyone, but he knows that he has to manipulate everyone because if he's going, if he's not going to do that, then there are going to be more deaths. Pennywise continues. Yeah. He's the only one that knows that the gravity of what has to be done to kill him. And I think because I think he just, he feels that he'll, he'll never be able to convince them if he doesn't manipulate in a way, but I, I, I think there's ways that you could have probably done that a little bit better. To, yeah, because you know. I, I, I get that. And I yeah. understand the gravity and the weight of the, the world on his shoulders. And, and, and that works for me in that sense. Yeah. But it really undercuts one of the biggest, best moments of this book, which is the promise. Yeah. Like they made a promise. That's why they go back. They don't need to be manipulated into going back because then it undercuts the friendship promise. Yeah. I, I don't understand why they felt like they needed to do that. Well, and I, and Just I, that, really. Yeah. I don't mind the manipulation of the ritual chud if that's the only manipulation part where he left that out because it's like, oh, crap, because then you're really with them. You're yeah. really with them and you're like... He is. He's misled them. What are they going to do now? Because that was that. I like that twist in the, in the yeah. movie because you know they they did their own take with the ritual chud, which because the I stakes just go up the wall. The stakes go yeah. crazy because then you're like, well, how are they going to do this yeah. thing? Because you know, and I like that. And yeah. I like the spider sequence. I did like that twist. 
so I just I guess what I really just didn't like was the manipulation of trying of, of having to withhold certain information to get them back to the town. And I think that goes you back didn't to Jade. need to do that. And, and, yeah, and the Jade, he needed a sequence where he just puts his fist down and stop. And, and instead of looking like an addict, he could have been like have that moment where he comes clean. And he's like, no, we made a fucking promise. Yes, that that would have worked for me if they started like, like saying like you manipulated, you got us back here. And, and he said, like, no. We made a promise. Yeah. Like, and whatever I did, whatever I'm doing, doesn't matter. Like, cookie. we made a promise. And then that should have been the moment where they were, like, decided that they needed to stay there and do the walking tour. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so this leads – can, can I bring up something that I oh, yeah. love? I didn't love the uh, the Stanley letter at the end where he's oh, like, man. I did this because I knew who would unify you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That was weird. I thought that was a really – I just I, that did not land for me at all. But to, should to we, me, we move to Stan then? Stanley's Stanley's death is tragic. Is a tragic act of cowardice. You know, yeah. I think he can't face it. I, it's human. I, I I get it on a humane level. Yeah, and I don't. It's not that I like <laughs> judge this fictional character, but. He reminds me, oh, this is, I hope this isn't like a horrible comparison, but you know, you know, like the Parkland shooting, there's that mm-hmm. cop, there's that cop who didn't go into the building. He froze. Mm-hmm. And I think that's awful. And I, I think that guy deserves the scorn that he gets yeah. for, for, for not being brave on the same level that I understand. Uh, there's a part of your lizard brain, your primitive brain, that's like, I can't run into gunfire. Like, I'm not yeah. equipped for this. I'm not trained for this. Where you freak and you get scared. And I think um, Stanley's suicide um, is is him choosing a way out that's um, – that's a bit cowardly, you know, yeah. uh, that he, he, rather than face this, like I'm just out, which breaks the promise, right. Mm-hmm. Which, um, I, I think, and, and I say this like, you know, because I, I also think like, I understand why you want to go back and face this, um, this sort of demigod, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, I, I get it, but I think that the, the reason King included that in the story is, uh, uh, this is, this is possible. They're possibly going back to a fate worse than death and mm-hmm. it raises the stakes for what they're going to face when they're back. And I think making it like, Oh, this was just meant to be. And I had to do this. I, I actually would have been fine with him getting a letter and him just saying, I'm sorry, I couldn't help you, but I hope you get this yeah. because that means you survived. Like that would have, I would have been yeah, okay with me too. I just didn't feel like it was, I needed to do this in order <laughs> to help you like it just that didn't seem right i agree and, so. I, and i think they fumbled an opportunity because the thing that i really thought with the first one that they did well and kind of prepping for the next one is you know when <laughs> wyatt olaf is basically like like bit by it yeah and he sees the deadline so you get, he knows what actually happens you know he knows the truth of things and he's haunted by that and i felt like <clears throat> they kind of fumbled that setup yeah. with this one or they, they maybe forgot even that like he was the one that got hurt more than anyone in the first one the ones that actually survived yeah and instead of using that and just letting that be the the reasoning for why he was like oh i know where this is going i'm done it, it just, it kind of, they, yeah, they really messed up his character well, in this one. The, and I, and like, and I thought yeah. they rushed the suicide too. Like you could have had some stuff with his wife a little bit too, to give it some sort of like, you know, well, that was, that was another thing too. I, yeah. I, I didn't like what they did with his character. Yeah. Um, because 
yeah, they, they they gave the deadlight thing to Bev, but we know that they're not going to kill Bev. Bev's not going to kill exactly. herself, you know. And so I don't, I still don't understand why they did that because you don't need to give Bev anything else. She's already one of the strongest characters in there, you know what I mean, as a yeah. child and as and and should be as the adult. The, and the deadlight thing is the real reason why, you know, he sees, cause he, you could have him be like, well, I, in that letter, you know, like I saw everyone die yeah and like, and then he knew there was no hope. So he yeah. kills himself. So that made, that would have made sense for, if they would have set the but dread. they don't do it. And I think it sends a really weird message for people like, okay, well, if it means other people are going to have a happy life and, and, and be able to be strong and do the things that then I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. You know I mean? Like that's not yeah. what they're trying to say, but I feel like there's a, there's a weird line there that you, have you to, could misinterpret it. I think. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I, I, I didn't like that, but Anthony, like you were saying, if it was just a letter saying, you know, I hope you do get this because that means that you live, but you know, uh, and I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, you know I'm sorry. yeah. Like I, 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 that would have been some, some closure that we never had in the book or anything like that. But because I think it's important that it's there because it does show that this is very human. People do this. Some people aren't strong enough. Yeah. And it's sad, but this happens. And also it, it to happen when, mm-hmm. when it does happen, that's what really kind of sets the tone for the adults because you're like, Oh, one of them already already couldn't even get back to the town. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember it, it sets reading that, that. that that suspense there. You're like, oh god, like they might not win. You know yeah. what I mean? And 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 so I felt like having that at the very end kind of just takes it takes it away. From I agree. That, you know, yeah. pulls your punches. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, Anthony? King does a weird thing with the book where Stanley dies before you know who Stanley is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. He's right. The, I think he's even the first call. Like it's Stanley takes he a powder, is. right? Yep. So, yep. Yeah. so you're like, who is this guy? And it's structurally a really bizarre thing that ultimately works as you keep going. But it's the kind of thing an editor would read and go, uh, we don't know who Stanley is. So why mm-hmm. are we killing him? And yeah. what effect is this having on the reader? And what I think King intuited was, you're not going to know. You're going to be like, wait. And the way I read it as a young kid at the time was – Dude, whatever they're being called back for must be really bad. Like because <laughs> yeah. um, this guy just chose to kill himself rather than go back. And so, what is it they're facing? And then the rest of the book plays out like you learn what they're facing little bit by little bit, as opposed to knowing, right? And mm-hmm. I think the difference with a movie is we know what they're going back to fix yeah. already. So, um, but the uh, but that suicide at the beginning is really destabilizing. I remember thinking, oh, at the end of every one of these little chapters. Where somebody gets a call, are they going to die? Are they going to kill themselves? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who is this? Because uh, King does that a lot, especially in his early books. Well, even in the Institute, though, he introduces a major character for like maybe 50, 60 pages. And then we leave that character. Yep. And, and, and the rest of the book plays out. Mm-hmm. And then yep. that character rejoins. It's almost a little bit of a prologue. Um, but he did that. I remember reading The Dead Zone and being like, why did we start with this Bible salesman kicking a dog <laughs> yeah. to death? Like, yeah. <laughs> where is this coming back? And then it does. And basically what he's saying is, trust me, this matters. We'll get we'll get to it later. Yeah, the Institute you know? thing is is especially funny because I love that prologue. And then yeah. I was like, then I, I think I got like 100 pages into the book and I'm like, wait. What was that prologue? Yeah. <laughs> then you eventually do come back around to <laughs> it. He, he, he said he said he wanted people to forget about that guy. Yeah, you I know? did. <laughs> but then it was great when he resurfaced. Well, so. I, mm-hmm. I just I just think it's strange that you know Stan is pretty much the easiest character to kind of put into this film, and they managed to 
give him more than I'm even arguing than Bev because like I felt like Bev is the most underwritten character in this movie despite having despite having the power yeah because like you don't get the Tom story that much you get a little bit of that and then honestly like she gets the great scene with Kirsch and all but like she's kind of forced into the Ben storyline a little bit Mm -hmm. and their their whole background is kind of towed back and forth because they kind of have to kind of um, you know, contend with what's going on with Bill. But I just felt like because you don't get the Tom, the Tom stuff and you don't really get uh, so much like just alone time with her other than the Kirsch residence, I just felt like she just didn't have as much for me. I thought I was expecting far much more for Bev. And I, so for me, that was more one of my more disappointments in this movie is just should, like, we, I, should we pivot to Bev? Uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I got to disagree. I got to disagree on that one. I thought she was really strong in this. And she's like the she's like the strongest of the losers. She's the one who keeps them all on track when they start to go out of control. Even Bill, like when he's going to go into the building, uh, into the house on Neibolt Street by himself, she shows up and she's like, we're not asking. We're coming with you. Like yeah. she I felt like she had so much more control. Now, there is something I learned from our conversations that you might find interesting is that she told Andy she wanted to add the scene where Bev takes off the ring and leaves it on the on the the, the post on the front porch outside mm-hmm. her home when she leaves uh, her husband. And like, I thought that was pretty good. I think that's also in the book. And she she was like, no, this is her. This shows she's done with that guy in there. That she's not just leaving and maybe going to come back, but like she's had an awakening, and she's in the same rut she used to be, and she's done with that. And I kind of like I felt that was the strong turn for her character, which is she has been kind of repeating similar mistakes, but now she's got her eyes open and she's not backing down. So she's got that you know Linda Hamilton thing going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they definitely they definitely build up and lean on that for mm-hmm. sure. I just felt like, and again, maybe it's just the dialogue that she's given because a lot of the scenes where she is supposed to be you know building up on her own you know sort of past and where she's going, you know, she's kind of hamstrung with this this build up with revelations with Ben that she yeah. didn't really know, which honestly, like I thought that was like the, like, how do you, I mean, at this point, how the hell do you not know it's Ben? <laughs> like, uh. do you not see this guy just standing, just standing here and staring at you the whole time? I, I just, for me, it, it felt as if um, she got some of the more weaker elements. With the I think she got script. some of the cooler horror sequences. Like, yeah, I, I agree like the, with that. I like yeah. the Kirsch sequence and I like the, I love the blood. The stall was really yeah. cool. Yeah. I actually, that's one of the sequences I've been thinking more about as it goes back. I almost wish that because um, I remember I, maybe I missed it, but I remember scanning the the scrawl, the scratches on the wall of the yeah. stall. And I was hoping that there would be some like kind of creepy little Pennywise thing or maybe like Bob Gray written in there or something. Uh, yeah. Just with a little thing for the fans. I didn't see anything but i might have missed it but um but yeah i think as a character i agree anthony that yeah she definitely like serves as a stabilizing force in a lot of ways which is great Mm -hmm. but man i wish there was just a little bit more like uh like i wish i i i personally just wish i cared more about her relationship with ben and maybe that has to do with ben's character because i think uh you know i thought jay ryan was good i the physical resemblance was incredible i i wasn't expecting that i wasn't Uh, and when i watched it i was like wow they have the same bone structure and i think (laughs) i think we should pivot to ben next but um we can talk let me talk really quickly about uh Uh, yeah, her, for me, um, I didn't mind the ring thing was fine because it, especially if they weren't going to bring Tom back. Yeah, I like agree. That, that was kind of like a button. Great on good that. closure there. But, yeah. um, I did feel like 
especially with the first film, you know, they, they took away, um, you know, the whole, it was meant to be Bev, you know, the, 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 the silver, the, mm-hmm. um, Oh yeah. Uh, they took away her, like the slingshot. They, they took away her slingshot moment and they made her the damsel in distress in the first film where she's, she sees, she's like hanging there with the Pennywise thing. And that's, that's a take on it. Okay. You did yeah. that. But then also in this movie, it was really strange when Eddie's having that moment and she, she like, it's a strong moment for her in a sense where she gives Eddie that, that thing is like, this kills monsters, but it's like, no, you <clears throat> kill the monster. You yeah. take that and have, <laughs> you know, get your slingshot back. Don't just be this like kind of passive person. And I, I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like, I felt like they took some of the core cool things away from that character. And, uh, and I think they leaned too heavily on the Ben Bev thing because I really didn't care about that. Well, I think when like, you also set it against the Eddie Ritchie relationship, where I feel like the emotions were more outsized, uh, mm-hmm. not in a bad way necessarily, but I think that it maybe you know could mask the the love triangle. Well, it's also bit. such a yeah. duh, yeah. You know, like yeah. it's not like this whole thing. Like it's like when um, God, this is gonna date me. Uh, it's like it reminded me of like the um the Katie Holmes and James Vanderbeek relationship <laughs> in Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Where you're like, yeah. no shit. Like, wow, they like each other. Whoa, it's only been building to that forever. So like when they do get together, it's just like, okay, cool, let's move on. Like that's for, for there wasn't no there wasn't a sense of relief. The only thing I really did care about the relationship is in the just the visual element of it, of seeing Ben underneath, you know, in the sand and her in the blood and then having to well, kind see, of connect oh, yeah, that was cool. I like that. Yeah. I like that, that sequence. sequence. Yeah, I like that, that sequence. You guys are tough, man. <laughs> no, no, I like that hey, sequence. No, no, that's, a, that's the only part where I really did feel their their connection in this one. Um, you know, because, and obviously from Ben's point of view is when he sees her in the, you know, in the classroom and she's like, he's like, you'd never say that. Right, you would never right, say that. Yeah. And that stuff was great. But yeah, I don't know. For, for me, just something's missing about Adele Bev here. And I well, think a lot of it's because a lot of my favorite scenes in the book involve her contending with, like, or dealing with Tom in Derry. It's funny you um, say that, like, because uh, I think, too, what is, is, mis- is I guess I, I personally, I was really thinking back and I, I, I'm like, well, I guess I didn't really care about the Bev and Ben stuff in the miniseries either. And I guess I didn't really care about it in the book. either. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not that into it. So I think that when I wasn't getting some of like some of the stuff you were mentioning, like the cool yeah. Bev stuff, uh, I think that's maybe what I was missing a little bit more. But what do you guys think about Ben, though? Like, uh, because, yeah, for me, I just I guess I guess I was really well, A, I was confused by the scene in the school with Ben because I was like, doesn't this still take place during the summer? Is this the next school year? Like, why yeah, is he in a classroom? That was confusing to me, too. I didn't understand why he was in the classroom. And I, I get that maybe it was like a summer school kind of thing or something, but... But he was the only one there. Or, or am I missing <laughs> something? I was just... No, there were other kids. Remember, they leave. The yeah, beginning. they leave at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was a summer school thing. But, that was but just... I, I was It was supposed that, to be the time where they were alone during the summer. And then they cut to that one that being one of the scenes. And you're like, why are you in school? Mark well, Harmon. I, I just um, kept thinking, summer school. <laughs> now, Anthony, I just want to say, Anthony, we... Yes, we are being very hard on this, but I think it's because, I mean, you know, we, we spent what, oh, I know. eight episodes, like the, the been, book yeah. and like four hours. <laughs> in. So I, we're probably looking at this way too in depth than yeah. most people are. Most people probably would just enjoy it on a level which we can, can no longer enjoy films because we scrutinize everything. <laughs> can I, can I bring up the Ben introduction? Yeah. So yeah. Well, that, 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 chapter two. There's like a kind of a, there's a cool little um, uh, Easter egg there, right? 
Yes, and yeah. kind of a misdirect too, because you see this yeah. <laughs> uh, guy leading the meeting who looks a lot like Jeremy Ray Taylor, like what might be grown up. He's a little heavier, you yeah. know. And it's Brandon Crane. Mm-hmm. You, I think that in, it's an intentional misdirect that you yeah. think you're seeing yeah. Ben, and then you see Ben uh, <clears throat> as uh, as Jay Ryan, like remotely skyping in. But that uh, that guy is Brandon Crane, who played Ben. In the in the miniseries, yeah, I love yeah. it. I love that. Yeah, that's that, so that, fun. And, they, and, I, and the, it made me wonder. Like, they didn't do any other ones, right? Like, there there were no other young losers in the movie. Not that I saw, but yeah. I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot in this movie that's, um, that's kind of hidden. Mm-hmm. Like, I know of a couple other Easter eggs that even on second viewing, I didn't see. So I don't know if they actually made it in. Oh. But I think they layered. I, I, I think they may have been conscious of the uh, dark tower problem of const of of the Easter eggs becoming more distracting than cool. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. So I like like, when that. I was talking to Isaiah Mustafa, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, at the end of the conversation, I'm like, my by the way, my wife is a librarian, and so we have like a big librarians are a big deal for us. So like, good job on Mike. I really liked your performance, and uh, you really captured that you know disturbed vibra- librarian vibe. And he was like, well, you know, Mike's not – he's not the librarian. He's the assistant librarian. The actual librarian, if you look on one of the desks, there's like name, a nameplate and it's Wendy Torrance. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's funny. That's, that's funny. Fun. She's the actual librarian. And I was like, damn. Oh, I did not Wendy catch Torrance that. Wendy Torrance has – Wendy Torrance, do not move wherever she moves. She has a bad <laughs> taste yeah, and yeah. Has to live. <laughs> that's wild. Well, oh, I just want—I want to put that whole incident at the hotel with my husband to to rest. I moved to a quiet town in Maine. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure Danny might have had a great strong, time. Blah, blah. <laughs> Season three of Castle Rock. Oh my lord! Well, the the, the one of the other—I mean, they do reference The Shining in the stall, you know, with uh, Pennywise trying to get into the stall with uh, oh, you know, yeah. the here's Johnny type of. Yeah. Little, oh uh, yeah. Little, 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 little. I, I want to say Andy Muschietti's in there like five times in this movie. Well, and that was another like, thing too. Is I enjoy. I enjoyed that stall sequence because it harkens back to this, you know, her being picked on as a yeah. kid, you know. But that's why another that's another reason why the curse thing didn't really fall for me because when when he when Pennywise just becomes like that weird woman wandering around, jumping around, it would have been a stronger thing to have been the father, yeah, like they do in the miniseries. Because if it's supposed to be playing on her fears, I was like, well, would she have a fear of like some old hag that we I, never knew I, about? I, I got some stuff to say in the cemetery for that scene. Okay, okay, um, um, for, for, for well, sure. And that was another thing. That was another sequence, though, that I felt like was just strange. When, whenever, whenever you saw Pennywise or the or the woman, people are just laughing. Yeah, and, and that that. I don't know. That's why I like watching horror movies by myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, let's, seriously. let's talk about Eddie. Eddie. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. Eddie to me, I loved Ransone's casting because I'm a huge fan of him. Huge as an actor. Fan. And, uh, and I didn't dislike his performance. I thought no. it was solid. I just thought, and we, we have already touched on this a little bit, so we don't need to go too deep, but I think, uh, there was a tonal inconsistency. I think, I think there was sort of an, uh, an aggressive, an aggressive push towards making him a comic relief character when there really is a lot of sadness and tragedy yeah. there. And I think, I think I think some of it would have been fine, but you know I think that we were all a little bit annoyed. Even though I laughed and I like the Pomeranian sequence at the end with mm-hmm. the three doors, yeah, I wish it had come at a different part in the movie because I, I felt like I was swept up in the horror of that whole moment, and I didn't need that 
silly of a laugh at that point. Like a little laugh is fine, but you know, the Pomeranian sequence, I laughed. I liked it because I love dogs, but it was, um, to Were you me, worried about it? Cause I know you don't like, oh, when dogs die. no, well I knew it was a Pennywise. Uh, okay. So he's dog, in control. Yeah. Dog. <laughs> Whereas that dog, that dog in the, in the tall grass image better not go in the tall grass. Is the, I, we I'm know gonna, the dogs can go in the tall I'm going to keep repeating that okay. until the end of, until that movie. And premieres. just so you know, Randall does not like uh, doggy horror. <laughs> yeah. Leave. Doesn't like bad things no, to happen to animals. Any animals. <laughs> any animals. Pet cemetery is a hard one for you. Yeah. I still um, love it, but yeah. So yeah, Eddie, I think it's, it's, you know, decent performance, uh, interesting take on the character, but I felt like we didn't get enough psychological cause like his, his walk, his walking tour sequence to me fell a little bit flat. It didn't yeah. feel connected. It felt like a, like a set piece rather than, you know, something that sprung from the action. And I think also there was maybe just the emotions were almost too scattershot. Like it was, everything was so heavy with him and Richie at the end, but then there was also this like broad humor. And then there was also, uh, his anxieties and everything else. So it was just, it was a character that to me felt flung in too many directions. So, yeah, Yeah, I agree with you. I think that so much of the walking tour is Pennywise kind of deceiving them into this, remembering something maybe sweet from their childhood, but then twisting it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I feel like, you know, the curse scene is good because you have this, this little old woman and she's going to have, Oh, she can bring me and I have tea and stuff like that. But then, then it takes a turn, you know, or, uh, but I felt like, even in the miniseries, when he goes back, it's it's almost a sweet moment where he's like, you know, you, you tried to tell me that this was fake then, and I really appreciate that now. And and then all of a sudden, it's Pennywise. You yeah. Know what I mean? And like, but this was just kind of like it was just comedic, like all the way through. I was like, uh, what, what, Wait, was this, what was this? What was this comedic? All the no, way no, 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 no. Oh. Eddie, what was the totem? Oh, yeah, what was yeah, his yeah. totem? Uh, I don't remember. What was his totem? Was it his aspirin? Is is uh, oh, I think his, yeah, I think it was his. It was his um. His yeah, it was. Yeah, because yeah. in his the inhaler. Yeah, yeah and the, the mini yeah. the mini mates, uh, which I've been trying to get. Um, <laughs> they, he's holding a. a oh, inhaler. really? Oh. Yeah. Uh, um, and then anything else on Eddie? I mean, I I I like look, James Ranson. I, I love James Ranson. I, I felt that like there's also a lot of weird like like body shaming in this movie. Yeah. Um, that I felt was tied to like his mother's you know opulent body and well, it's like um, that in the book too. It is, yeah. and I mean, too, King yeah. loves to talk about you know uh, heavyweight oh, yeah. people, but <laughs> I thought that in with 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 hit, tied to him, it seemed like he was just a punchline the entire movie, yeah. and that wasn't the case with Eddie in the first one. Like, there's like a lot of heart to his character that I felt was didn't really show up until the very end when it became time to be serious well, with him. Yeah, I would know? have liked a little more Eddie Ritchie bonding time mm-hmm. in the beginning if you're if they're going to go the route that they ended up going yeah because i honestly until the end until the latter half of that movie i did not pick up on any of that mm-hmm. kind of thing between the two of them but like I, you know I, again i liked ransom I, I i individually liked most of the people as their character i just didn't like what they the execution of it do we want to talk about uh I think there's two more characters we can talk about. Well, there's in this one section. main one that we have that well, we haven't got to. There's a few. Wait, Bill Dembro. Oh, we haven't talked about <laughs> Bill. Bill, Billy. Well, maybe you. Maybe that speaks to the fact that I just didn't really connect with See, him. Here's in this the movie. thing. I actually, I actually thought he was the third strongest. Um, really? Yeah, because talk I think he, he gets a lot. I mean, he gets he gets the guilt of feeling he's kind of like the second Mike in the way that he feels he takes on this kind of paternal role. Yeah. Of you know he goes to the house, his old house. He has that kid that's there uh, that felt very Shane Black to me, <laughs> where he's just like <laughs> taking the care of this skateboard kid. Yeah, the skateboard I, you kid. You know, let me just say I love the fact that they brought in the skateboard kid from the book. Yeah. I 
don't like the, the how they continued that story with that kid. I I didn't mind, and I actually I, I liked it because of where they take the stakes with that. Because the fact that the kid actually does die in the the funhouse is so fucking dark. And I thought that his the guilt that Bill has with his with his you know with his brother, and obviously I have some qualms with the Audra stuff. I felt that they should have kind of embellished that a little bit more, especially if you're gonna if it's between Audra and Tom, give me more Audra. But with Bill and his relationship with Derry and the, his relationship with Mike, I actually thought that was pretty strong. I, yeah. I, I thought that was really good. And I thought that Mustafa um, really got brought out a, you know, a lot from McAvoy and yeah. their scenes together, even if it did get a little too comedic at times. But by the end, like I really did feel their kinship together. Yeah. Far, more, more their so final, than, the final combo was really good. Which I really liked. Yeah. And, and, I, and I thought that like Bill got a lot of uh, great uh, lore for himself from his walking tour. And I thought McAvoy did a really good job because... I mean, look, I, I I fucking like McAvoy. I think he's he's strong as Why hell. Why are you saying it like it's like something? Because to be a lot of people of. always. <laughs> like, I feel like people write him off nowadays. Well, like, that's I, the thing. I, is like, McAvoy is like a wild card for me. Sometimes I like love him, and sometimes I just don't like him. I I, I didn't think he's particularly strong in this movie. Yeah. Like I, I I hate Split, but I thought he was fantastic in it. Yeah. This movie, I just, I just again, it, it wasn't even necessarily McAvoy. It's just the the, the trajectory of Bill in this. Like you said, it was like the second mic. We don't need a second mic. We want to build. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the problem. With this movie is like you had two Richies, two mics. You know, you know what I mean? it's like it's like you didn't need to do that. It's like they're changing things for for no reasons. Like if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know? Like yeah. I don't understand. Anthony, why what did you that. think about Bill? Uh, I thought he was pretty strong. Uh, you know, I thought he did a good job of uh, bringing that character to life, and you know, showing that sort of turmoil inside him, the memory of his brother. Um, I, I know people who, um, have lost siblings and Mm -hmm. you get older, but your sibling doesn't, your brother doesn't. Right. And like, um, there's always a lot of guilt about things that are said, you know, between brothers. And, uh, uh, I thought he did a good job of, of, of reconnecting with that. And the little boy, the skateboard kid kind of looked like Georgie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's a little bit older. And, you know, talk about funny moments. I do like when he's ranting about like, don't talk to any, don't talk to that sewer. Yeah, that was exactly. Funny. <laughs> and you get a big laugh out of it because the kid's like, okay. But then the kid's like, you know, I don't hear anything from the sewer, but I hear things from the drain. Yeah. That I thought was actually a pretty creepy moment. Yeah. That's yeah. Like, the audience laughed at the don't talk to that sewer rant. And then the boy walks away and he goes, I actually hear it from the drain. And people are like, oh, <laughs> I mean, like, you think about I Bev think in the first movie. That's yeah. a that's a great scene in the book, too, that, that skateboard scene with the with the kid. I think that's just it's a cool moment where you, you have the adult talking to another child. Finally, mm-hmm. like you don't have that. at yeah. all. Yeah. Well, so I, 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 I enjoyed that. I just I, and I understand why they gave Bill the funhouse sequence, because he doesn't he has the he finds silver. But he doesn't really have his his own haunt story, and they wanted to do that. So I get why they did. And that. honestly, that Which sequence didn't... is chaotic in all the right ways. Yeah, like, I, I don't the really way it was like. Filmed, yeah. I don't really like uh, the 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 Dobby sort of style of horror where it's like very fast and just frantic. Yeah. But in that sense, when you had the two sides where they're just like, yeah, like that, I was like having an anxiety attack during the moment. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ! Like, and then he's just banging his head. Like, I I loved that. I thought that was one of the more effective. Sequences. Yeah, the cadence of it was really um, cool. And and I and I bought McAvoy's tension that because he feels so hopeless at that yeah. moment. Um, yeah, that's good shit. Um, so, anything else on Bill? I, I Hey, that's your character, so... You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Randall's the Bill of our pod. I so. think we got two... I think we got two more that I think we could discuss. One Although, is your MVP. Well... 
uh, the opposite of that. I know. Do I we want to save, like, talk about Pennywise in the cemetery I think section? So, yeah. We'll do that. So yeah, then we'll, yeah. I think there's one more character to yes. discuss, and that is Henry Bowers, aka my favorite character in all of Stephen King. And, and, and when I got oh, the Mini really? Mate figure, yes. I was hoping that it was Henry Bowers yesterday to give you that for the Mini Mate figure. Oh, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. I got Stan, who's the most boring fucking Mini Mate. <laughs> I saw that. He, they I literally, that. because they can't allude to his suicide, but no, the but Mini Mate. He's the most important. He's the most important because he, he, he brings them all together. The but it's, it's literally just him, and it looks like John Cusack from Gross Point Blank. <laughs> Like he's just like he's just sitting there with his head down. I'm like, I got the worst fucking figure I could have possibly got because I got the Dan Aykroyd mini mate the other day. Yeah. I'll say that. Uh, well, yeah, Anthony. I guess like like I I'm I have a, a particular fascination with bullies in pop culture, and so I I and I think it's because when I was young, I was like obsessed and terrified of Henry, especially the depiction of him yeah. in the miniseries. And uh, and I love as he's I love him as he's written in the book. Although, and you know, the thing is, it's not like. I, I understand, you know, I guess like, and like for me, I, I expected that it was going to be underwhelming in this movie know, because I it's know. underwhelming in the miniseries too. And in the book, like I love like Henry's written as a, when he's a, when he's a kid is incredible. It's, it's the best writing about a bully that I've ever read. And it, it epitomizes like everything I find interesting about pop culture bullies. And, uh, but it's like his arc in the second half in the latter part of it is, is thin and it always has been. Weren't, weren't you kind of excited when he gets like, when they go, they show the flashback well, of him being funneled out of the sewer and you're like, Oh wow. Where yes. are you going to go? Yeah. I got excited I was very about that. Excited. I did. I, I that thought entrance. that was really cool. I that entrance was really and I like seeing guy. him walk up and then get arrested and everything. I thought all that was really cool. And, yeah. uh, but cause I love that kid who plays him. He's really good. And, um, and I guess for me, but the, it's like I what I like in the book about Henry as an adult is like him riding around with Belch. It, it's Belch, right? Yeah. 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 With Belch in the book. And here it's uh, Hockstetter. <laughs> yeah. And Christine. It's Hockstetter here. And uh, but, you know, we don't really get the time in the car with them. No. We, and I think that we don't. Like, I love the scene in the trailer where he's getting dragged and you see the balloon following the window. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I like and I just got excited and I like that arc for Henry. But, you know, it, it just it is what it is. He comes back in the book. He stabs Mike. He doesn't kill him. And then he goes and he tries to kill uh, Eddie yeah. and then Eddie kills him. And that's it. And it's like it's, it's, very it's, rushed. it's always been a little bit rushed. And so I've never really cherished like adult Henry Bowers. It's always for me about like child Henry Bowers. But here. Yeah, it was it was kind of what I kind of just like Anthony, you mentioned earlier that they played mm-hmm. Eddie getting stabbed in the cheek like for comedy. And I guess that's mm-hmm. part of it was, you know, they bring in Henry and then they kind of play it for comedy a little bit. Yeah. And, and then he gets killed by Richie, you know, which to me, there wasn't really much of a connection there like the, the connection is more in my opinion between well in this movie it's mike yeah well, that's uh, because why I of, from the first movie where yeah they have mike and i thought that was a stronger choice to have mike be yeah the one that goes up against him and possibly because they kills him. they really weaved in the racist element yeah. and uh but you know but it's all there's also eddie and then there's also ben because he carved the h in him and i like that they brought that back in this movie too the yeah, the h yeah. was there but yeah i guess for me it's like the henry the use of henry here you could excise it entirely and nothing would change i know and but, that's what's so weird yeah which either. whereas in the book and in the miniseries, it at least has some impact because Mike gets uh, taken out. Yeah, because Mike gets taken out yeah, of the game. Yeah, and that's important. But I think uh, I like the actor who played him, you know. And um, and I guess I, it's like, and I'm I'm still just disappointed that from the first movie that we never really got to see Henry and the bullies in the sewer because that mm-hmm. to me is such a great sequence. I love that they're there in the book and in the miniseries. So yeah. the fact that we he just got thrown down the well in the first movie was something I was disappointed about. But at the same time, I did I still like that depiction of the character. Um, I like the way that they reworked him. So he was kind of like, you know, a shit kicker and, uh, and 
and I love the intensity and in that they went there with having him kill his dad yeah. in the first movie. That stuff's all great. I just kind of wish that, you know, we could have just gotten a few more shades, but there's only so much room. I mean, we're I already, you know, so I want Yeah. I wanted a car sequence. Yeah. The car sequence would have been great. And the actor that played Hockstetter in the first movie love is him. great. Owen Teague is wonderful. Yeah. He pops up in stuff a lot. And yeah. I, I like that he popped up again, but I just wish we could have got a little bit more, you know, so. agreed. Agreed. That's any, all. Any other uh, thoughts on, uh, Old Bowers, that was a nice little power, <laughs> Bowers Power Hour. That would be the last yeah. Bowers Power Hour we ever have on this podcast. <laughs> I'll find yeah. another way in. Uh, oh, boy. We, we have this, this other people talking about doing it three. Oh, I know. You never know. <laughs> well, I actually have some thoughts on that we can save for later. Yeah. But uh, what's next section, Mike? I'm a, I'm a little sleepy. I'm going <laughs> to lean back here in the Barrens and, and, and just take a nap for a second. But God, I really hope I don't have some nightmares and dreamscapes ahead of me. If you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. Boom. Uh, We're just going to share. Let's just share one thing yeah. that really you just didn't really like in this movie that you that you wish they could have you know like improved upon. Well, I know we did, but if, if one, we're going to do a, just, a speed round because these yeah. these next sections are pretty much like kind of speed just like round. us sharing like our own personal thoughts yeah. like really quick. So. Yeah. So uh, I'll start, and it's uh, it's literally it's Henry Bowers like yeah, in general, and it's the it's the fact that we didn't even get any horror out of him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I wanted. I I don't mind that his role is is small, but I wish that it was there was horror in him attacking Eddie. There is some in him attacking Mike. I kind of like the shot of him running head on at Mike. I do too. Yeah, in the library. But I just you know I wish there was a little bit more. I wish the fight was a little a little dirtier. You know, and because mm-hmm. uh, Richie just kind of gets him from behind, and then that's that. And uh, just wish a little bit more there. So that's mine. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's it's just the comedy. Undercutting yeah. everything, but to, to mention something we haven't mentioned yet is, um, I love that they took the risk of the otherworldliness of, of it and the comet and all of that stuff. I just felt like they introduced it in such a wackadoo way. And, and as as cool as that sequence is, it's very um, Deathly Hollows the way they tell the story and everything yeah. of the Indians and all that stuff is very very cool. And I just I looked at Randall, I was like, I can't believe they're doing this. Like, yeah. we're, we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get the the Eater of Worlds, you know? Like, yeah. And it was so cool, and I, and I I commend them for taking that chance. But I just felt like the, the it's brought on too early in such a crazy way. And like again with the comedy in that in that moment with with Bill like tripping and everything, it it, it again it undercut the 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 gravity of that and the rest of the movie. And it, I felt like that's something you had to be, you had to be really delicate with because it's something that's so polarizing and, and changes the entire idea of this movie. I agree. It's now a science fiction film, you know, in, in that sense. And, and I just, I didn't think they did it quite right. Mm-hmm. But hey, kudos for throwing it in there because I didn't think you it were was going a, to. It's a bold choice. Anthony, yeah. was there anything that, that maybe fell short for you that pops to mind? I said, I didn't love the Eddie letter at the end, but, I was pretty satisfied with it, so <laughs> yeah. I don't have too much like that I disliked. Um, I was yeah, I was pretty happy. So that works. You know, that the, works. I probably the Eddie letter is probably the one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I mean, honestly, it, it goes down to a lot of the just the little bits and pieces, the side stories that I was hoping that we would get a little bit more of. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I was actually. 
kind of hoping that we would get a little bit more like the black spot or, you know, even like the, the, the situations that happen with Mike, um, those little things, but it's more of the tonal stuff because I actually, I'm, I'm I side more with Anthony, right? I actually really do like this movie. There's just little things like the, the kind of tonal inconsistencies between the drama and the humor and the horror. It's, it's a hard dance to do. And honestly, King doesn't even do it to, you know, to perfection in his book. Yeah. So I understand the imperfections here. And honestly, this is a really fucking hard book to adapt, especially if you want to get into the more spectral elements. But I, I felt that there there was like a finesse that could be there, and I still am holding out hope on like some of the the more extended footage because I think that could help a lot, a lot of the problems that I have with well, it. Well, there's a sequence in the trailer that wasn't in the movie where where Pennywise seemingly jumps out of the side of like a wall or something. Do you know yeah, what I'm talking about? Like yeah. that's not in there. So there's yeah. definitely stuff that's cut for sure, and, I, and I'd be really interested in seeing those sequences. Or like the, like the Adrian Mellon sequence, I think it's pretty spot on with the book. Yeah. But what they leave out is all the interrogation and the, the slow cover-up that Derry does. Yeah. And you don't really need it in this movie because we already know Derry's a bad town. We exactly. had that whole introduction in the first movie. But I would have loved it. I would love to see if there was any of that shot. You yeah. Know? Um, because I feel like that's such a huge thing, you know, just like police cover-ups. You know, yeah. Oh, days. totally. Yeah, I love um, that sequence. So, and then if they do reorder things and have that maybe be the first sequence of this, a longer cut, I think that could really work. Oh, 100% agree. And I, again, it's give me that Netflix hateful aid yeah, extended no. cut. Give it to me. Give it to <laughs> me. Anyway, it, yeah. I have another issue, but it happens to be in a place that... Let's be honest. It's a little spooky. Uh, we're going to head over to Ludlow, Maine and uh, go up to the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery... Human at all. Okay, well, in the cemetery, we're going to just share what scared us the most. I'm going to lead this one off because I actually didn't really find too much of this movie scary. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I had an issue with the first one. My biggest issue with the first film is that the modern horror tropes of what they use to scare Main Street audiences just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. I like dread. I like the the sort of looming, menacing uh, pre- presence of, of terror that, you know, I lean more to terror than actual horror. And that's something that I do actually think that the first one did really well with actual dairy elements. Like, you know, the the, the bullies, the, yeah. the parents ignoring the things. Scary, yeah. And the town is scary. I don't really get that so much in this one. No. Although I did think that there were moments in this film that were, you know, genuinely, they had some like horrifying moments. I mentioned obviously previously with the, you know, the bill and the funhouse sequence yep. that I thought was really effective. Um, I also think what was, what was, you know, generally scary here. And I think a lot of people are going to share this one, that bleacher sequence. Yes, that was yeah. mine. So funny because I feel like that's the, that's one of the wholly original sequences in the film. Yeah. Um, that Doberman serves up, and I, I thought it was so effective. I thought it was so scary. Because you you get to really see, and I, I get, you know, you see Pennywise and Georgie, mm-hmm. and I love that interplay, and that's, but that's, you know, it's written in the book, but having another little moment like that in this movie where you really see, you know, that our, I think our biggest complaint with Pennywise, and I love Skarsgård, I, I love his performance. Yeah. Just give me Skarsgård. But I think that my, my problem is like, they, they make him scare, look scary, mm-hmm. but I like how they address that in this movie where the girl is like, 
you're scary. I'm going to leave. But then he plays it to his advantage and yeah. really works her to, ke- to mm-hmm. come closer than, and that they're, they're both losers. You know, they both look scary and, and, yeah. and, and, and I can fix you. And I just thought that was so well done. I agree. And, and that was a really great moment. During that scene. I love, yeah. I love that. So sequence, good. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought, I also thought she was going to make it. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What if, what, what if Pennywise just, Blew away the scar and then she left. <laughs> Happy ending. Misunderstood uh, Pennywise. Anthony, yeah. wh- what other sequence? What like what's one other sequence that you found really freaky? Uh, I did find the Mrs. Kirsch scene freaky. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I know. Like, I think it's weird because like it's weirdly perversely sexual. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the dread and the weirdness and the sort of Stanley Kubrick brand of horror that you uh, get in this movie. Like she takes off all her clothes and then like races toward her. And she's this sort of like gangly, weird, like, being that's ugh, i don't know i like it <laughs> weird the, and scary the, yeah i also i thought the most unsettling bit was uh, and i know you guys didn't lo- necessarily love this scene but when ben is there and he sees he he thinks he's talking to beverly and he's actually talking to pennywise the mm. rejection the meanness i think as soon as she's mean to him the audience gets the cue that this isn't beverly the yeah. beverly we know beverly and she would never do this but mm-hmm. i think every I mean, I don't know. I remember being that age and, and the the idea of talking to somebody that I thought was cute was terrifying precisely because I didn't want her to go, Oh, were you flirting? Did you think I wanted to talk to you? Like <laughs> that to me, that, that conjured up like a lifetime of insecurity, like, uh, and, and what a kid like that would feel because of his shape and size and, and, you know, uh, the way he's mocked constantly that, that you open your heart up to somebody and you, you think you have a friendship and then to be laughed at or, Oof. or to be spurned. That was the biggest fear of yeah. a- adolescence was walking the girl to the door after taking her to the movies and like, now I've got to try to kiss her or else <laughs> if I don't, I'm going to be feel guilty because I didn't try. Uh, but if she closes the door in my face, I'm going to feel horrible and like embarrassed and I'm going to want to curl up into a ball. And like, so that whole sequence I thought captured a real fear, not that her face would turn into a uh, ghost rider, <laughs> but, um, no, a skull, but like, but that idea of being rejected and, and, and then it becomes a little, you know, a nice monster moment. But, um, I thought that was a pretty good scene yeah, i thought when you the, frame I, it like that i i like that a lot i yeah. do too uh, the fi- the, going back to the curse thing the, the thing that really got me about that sequence is um the thing that that always kind of creeps me out that that whole mo- like anything in horror that deals with size in in small places yeah really gets me and the fact that like kirsch becomes this large being in this small living room like I, that absolutely hit me hard. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I and I couldn't stop thinking about that image going further because it's also like almost like a stop motiony sort of thing, which they do really well in the first one actually. Because yeah. I really like the whole, I love the whole library sequence. I think that's the term. and the multiple the multiple mouths on the neck was a yes. freaky kind of monster Ugh, image. Yeah. Like that was kind of yeah, that was kind of gross. Like she becomes. I don't think like the stretched out cartoony old lady is scary, but the fact that it's like this, it's just this mass of tissue with faces and teeth and (laughs) limbs like that's where the more it devolves the weirder and better i I think it gets yeah yeah Yeah. uh my 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 favorite well it was definitely the bleacher sequence is definitely my favorite but i think another scene that really works and this is again just give us some more scars because i I feel like the sequence where at the very end of the curse thing where you see him 
as you know uh fodder <laughs> in, yeah you know putting on gray. the make as bob gray and when, then at the end when of the he hallway. tears a, his when he's tear, not tearing his face but he's drawing the lines in blood you know the, the the red lines on his on the pennywise face and stuff and and just talking to bev in that quiet moment is more terrifying than any of the jump scares you know what i mean mm-hmm. My yeah i agree and that was what i was going to say too and that to me if they if they and this is obviously purely speculating but it's like if there were going to be a pennywise or at it chapter three i feel like it would be how did this clown become like an agent of pennywise like because yeah. if bob gray is a real person and they hint towards that here and they do in the book too which i love it's like what was his story how did he encounter pennywise and i actually would love to see that like i the think Jacks. that would be really interesting because there's there's stories that take place in that time period yeah. that are really interesting in the book yeah and to kind of weave all those together and do I, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of prequels at all, but if we're going to get another It story, that's the only one I think that makes sense. Yeah. It's covering It coming down and choosing Bob Gray to become that character. That's very interesting to horror movie. Yeah. Where to next, Mike? Well, you know, we usually go into our other favorite <laughs> book segment, Pound Cake, but I just got a call from, um, you know, Banyan Bread, and they said that... They're all out. So <laughs> we're just going to skip. Yeah, there's no um, pound cake here. And I said Banya, but I meant bimbo bread. I think that's the, the big yeah, yeah, uh, the, the bear. Yeah, yeah the, the little bear. No more pound cake. So we're going to go straight into very fan favorite section. I think we're all going to have fun with this because we're all constant readers. King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. turtle do we see the turtle we see a turtle in the classroom that ben yes. goes into yeah. okay. in the school but we also saw the lego turtle in the first one they yes. also we, you know. mention the um the concoction that uh mike drinks in the hut is 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 maturin yes they mention the name which oh, i really appreciate i missed that. that yeah yeah they they call he calls it like the the something maturin or whatever i was like oh yeah, that, that's why I really thought we were going to get some kind of imagery of the turtle towards the end, and maybe we did, and I just had to see it again. Like, uh, like Anthony, you were saying there, there's some Easter eggs that you you didn't quite see or didn't see the second time. Like, maybe, maybe there are things in there. I just need to see it again and and watch it from a different perspective. But I, I, I gotta say, I never understood that whole turtle business. <laughs> you know, I think if, if you if you went with it, but I don't. I feel like that may be one of the cases where like. Uh, uh, Okay. <laughs> I, I think it, it's sometimes I think he tried to address things that were just like abstract and unknowable and kind of nonsensical so that you didn't try to make too much sense of them. Right. Sure. Sure. Like, right. the, like the, the idea of a turtle almost being like a constellation, like we're projecting that image on it because that's the way it seems to us, but it's, yep. uh, it's actually just this other entity. Right. And, and, um, and I, and I felt like it was a way of saying, here's this, bit of jargon that we can't really understand, but there are entities out there that, uh, that, uh, that are pulling the strings in a way like, like, like the, uh, like Lovecraft's old ones. And, um, and Pennywise is somehow like a, a cast off or this fallen angel, yeah. you know, He's Lucifer, Lucifer style. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, okay, like, okay, that's all I need to know. Like, I'm not going to try to understand that because it's unknowable, you that's know, interesting. Uh, as, as we Catholics, uh, were raised, Anytime there was a, a lapse in logic, uh, uh, it's a, a mysterious way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, uh, 
and we're not supposed to understand it. So like the turtle, like I was happy with just enough like imagery that there's something else here uh, beyond the veil that we can't quite see. I didn't. I don't want. I don't want full explanations there because it doesn't make any sense. Sure. Turtles all the way down. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, and 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 as much as I love that idea, and because I'm a big Dark Tower fan, it really makes sense in that realm. But if you're just watching it. Yeah, it is crazy. I didn't expect them to actually do it. That's why as soon as they started going into the backstory about, you know, it coming from the sky and everything, I just thought, are they really going to do the turtle? Are they going to try to do this? And I was kind of half laughing, but I was kind of like, all right. But I think that they used enough of that to make it to make it make sense and, and explain what Pennywise is. But like you were saying sometimes it's better to left those things in the dark. And I think nine times out of 10, it's better to leave things in the dark and leave it to your imagination. So the fact that we didn't get to see the turtle idea outright, but we did get enough of Pennywise otherworldliness was enough for me. And and I don't necessarily think he's an alien. I do like this, the Lucifer interpretation that he's this thing that sort of fell. Yeah. In yeah. Quotes to I love her, that. Like, yeah. you know, like that it's more, it's it's weirder than just that he's some Tommy he's the Tommy Knocker who survived, you know. Like, <laughs> and he took That's a sequel waiting to happen. Uh, well, you my, know, Pennywise because Pennywise is in the Tommy Knockers. You remember that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Where they yeah. go they go to Derry for supplies, and mm-hmm. one of them is like, "What the fuck is this clown face looking at us from the sewer? <laughs> oh, we're hybrid alien humans, but like that's weird." <laughs> I love There's that. Always someone who could do you one better, you know. Yeah. Uh, Mike, is there any other King's Dominion you noticed? Um, I want to say that wasn't there? They mentioned a Castle Rock, like on a street sign. Um, oh, like the highway. Um, yes, there was. Yeah, yeah. You saw so, Castle Rock on a street sign, I believe. I didn't. I could be. Maybe it was. Maybe I, I was thinking so. of. I think that's in the first movie. Oh, it's in the first one. Then yeah. maybe then where I'm trying to imagine if there was any other. I mean, other than the obvious little cues to you know, like The Shining and, and whatnot. I, I can't really well, think the of Wendy and the Wendy Torrance. Yeah, I mean, well, and then there's the, one thing that we didn't. There's literal King in the oh, yeah in, in, in a scene King's in cameo. a cameo. I, I, I want to say right now. This is my favorite Stephen King cameo. Uh-huh. I, I, I was like tearing up in it. I don't know if it's just because he's getting older and just seeing him in this older main store. There was just something about that cameo that really hit me. It was and, a like, good role for It him. was like affecting for me. Yeah. And I love that he was able to make like little dad jokes with the ending and yeah. stuff. I just, I don't know. I really love that sequence. And in, 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 in the history of King cameos, it finally uh, topples the the eighty nine Pet Cemetery cameo where he plays a priest. I, I just <laughs> well, really very, loved, I thought it was great. It's tongue in cheek in, in, in a really yeah, satisfying. It is. Oh no, we yeah. one, we yeah. love the Pet Cemetery one. We're saying this. Yeah, is that was my favorite before. Favorite this one before now, that. I think, is just just because he actually gets to you know he's himself in a sense. He's an old main, you know, an old timer in Maine. I thought that yeah. he plays the role perfectly here. Yeah, you know? I love the fact that he's the one that that's able to give. Silver back to Bill. And, yeah. And, but I love that interplay and the whole idea of the, the, you know, oh, I hated the ending. You know, it's, I wish they hadn't done that joke at the beginning of the movie. I know. Because if, which if, joke, if wait, which joke, which joke where King's it? King says, uh, well, you know, Bill's like, oh, you want me to sign the book? And he's like, nah, I didn't like the ending. Yeah. Because the whole idea of like King's endings, you know, notoriously, yeah. a lot of people don't like how he ends books or whatever. But they make that joke at the beginning of the movie. They're like, nah, just, just have King be the only one that says that. And I, I would have loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, Anthony, were there any other nods to other King works that you noticed that perhaps we missed? No, but I'm I'm kind of bad at that, like catching it. The first I am time too. Yeah. The second time, 
The second time I still was caught up in the story, you know, I have to say. So I, uh, you know, I feel like when you're scanning it for little clues and references, you're, you're you must be pretty bored or that's like, you know, maybe at home you can catch something. Uh-huh. Um, but I thought um, I, I, I don't think they overdid it too much. I think they were aware that you can. Uh, you can kind of spoil the soup with too many of those little spices yeah. and um, the, the the cameo bit. Uh, I will tease this from uh, I, I don't want to say too much because I'm saving it for an article. that's going to come out in a few days. But, uh, uh, you know, I talked to King about his cameo and he uh, and my question for him was. Uh, um, why, why, uh, why the Neil Young t-shirt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, does that have any symbolism? Did you choose that? Did you like show up that way? <laughs> he was like, no, no, I think that's just what they could get cleared. He's like, you know, I'm not even such a, a Neil Young fan. And, I, and this was heartbreaking because he's, Steve's one of my heroes and I love Neil Young. Yeah, love Neil Young. Hear, to hear Steve go, I don't really like that high peeping voice. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> No. Yeah, I would have. No, I would have taken him for like a diehard Neil Young fan. Yeah, right. Because they kind of look similar. They do similar. Like they could be brothers in a way. You know, there's something about them that, that sort of resembles each other. And um, and yet, I I I I I dropped the ball a little bit, and I gotta try to catch up on this because then I looked at the book again, and you know, he always opens with cool epigrams. Yeah, and um. And uh, one of the epigrams is from Neil Young, Out of the Blue and Into the Black. Yeah, from Hey, is, My Mind. Is one of the ones or, that the uh, – yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one of the uh, the opening epigrams in It. So uh, – That makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, his epigrams in It are fantastic. They yeah. really are. Yeah, he's talking about Springsteen, born down in a dead man's town. Like, oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> and then uh, the one from Mean Streets. Yep. Yes. You guys remember this from yeah. the book? You yep. don't fuck around with the infinite. Like, <laughs> love that. Love that. That is great. <laughs> uh, Mike, should I, we? I read, I read that in the book years before I saw Mean Streets. Like, yeah. I read this when I was 12 <laughs> and I saw Mean Streets, you know, in my 20s. And I was like, oh, shit. That's, right. that's a great quote from Stephen King's book. But, um, yeah, they, they put him in a Neil Young shirt, even though he doesn't love Neil Young. But I think I'm going to have to ask Andy, but I bet you it was because. Because uh, out of the blue and into the black was uh, one of his epigrams. What, what if they went like if they do do the episodic treatment for this for Netflix and they go full Tarantino and like the, before like every episode there is like the sort of epigraph in the beginning with like the <laughs> that would suit right. Stephen King's work. That would yeah. be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, but I want to tease one other thing, and I, oh, I can't yeah. give it away now. But like, uh, I'm going to have a story in a few days about that cameo, and I will say there's a second part to that cameo ah. that, um, that I heard all about from Steve that um, would have been set when the kids were young. Interesting. So stay tuned for that. Stay Check tuned to Vanity Fair for that. <laughs> awesome, awesome. We definitely will. Uh, mm-hmm. But before we do that, we got to go and head back to the barons because we got some work to do. I have a, a bottle here and I'm going to break it on this rock <laughs> and we're going to cut our hands and we're going to give our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. You said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. All right. Well, I'm going to kick this one off. Okay. Um, I yeah, go for it. You know, we're we're going to go on our classic Pennywise rating. Uh, p- uh, bright red. Bright red Pennywise clown noses. Uh, scale of one to five. One to five. All right. Well, look, I'm pretty sure I gave the first one probably around a four. 
I'm going to give this one, an, uh, you know, a, a three and a half. Okay. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Look, this is a huge, huge undertaking. This whole story is a huge undertaking. And the fact that they were able to kind of, you know, create an epic out of this that was still entertaining and still affecting is, is, is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, it doubles down on all the exhausting jump scares that I can't stand and a lot of the CGI that I felt plagued the, the 2017 original. Um, but, you know, given all its faults and, you know, there are many, I still think it's enthralling. I still think it's emotionally affecting. And that, to me, is far more important than any of the scares. And I said this in the, 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 the you know, the final assessment of the it books when yeah. we did this last fall. Yeah. Um, you know, I said, you know, King's novel is, is he's, it's always been this coming of age story dressed up in a Halloween costume. And I felt that this movie gets that. I mean, I think Muschietti prioritizes the coming of age story and that's something that's always going to draw me into it more than anything else. And, you know, you're going to tear up, you're going to, your heart's going to stir, you're going to hate to say goodbye. And that's, those are feelings that I always loved from the book and that I got from this movie. So for that alone, I thought that this uh, this three hour uh, tome uh, uh-huh. was uh, was worth it, and um, I just wish that you know it was more than just a, a Ferris whale you know surrounded by predictable carnival fare. Sure, that's all sure, sure. That. So three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses for me. I'm gonna give it uh, two point five bright oh. red Pennywise clown noses. I, I you know I and the thing is. I, I had a very negative uh, immediate reaction yeah. to it, um, but I think having sat on it a little bit, there's a lot I really like about it. Like, and I think some, I, it's such a step forward in terms of yeah, there's some bad CGI in this, but there's yeah. also some amazing there is like yeah. effects in this. Yeah. Like the whole final sequence to me is really amazing yeah. like visually mm-hmm. and uh the stan spider head which we didn't get a chance to talk too much about i loved that sequence yeah. i was like enthralled by it and so um so those sequences really stand out for me and really uh i think make it definitely worth watching and i do think you're right it does it does prioritize the coming of age story um and the characters uh the extent to which it works i think i struggle on a few fronts but overall though you know i do think it's it's a satisfying conclusion uh to the two movies uh i i do think it leans a little too hard on the first movie and i wish that uh it wasn't so jump scare and set piece driven uh, at least in the middle of it but overall you know i think it's it's fun and mm-hmm. uh and it's it's an achievement if nothing else you know and so yeah 2.5 for me mac yeah let's go to me first guys. i'd rather end on a good note uh I, I you know i'm ben in this group but yeah. um I, I i think i've fooled you all i think i'm more of a henry bowers because, <laughs> uh, i gotta say you know when i left the movie i was thinking like you know one 1.5 i'm gonna give it two bright white premium west clown noses one for the kids love the kids yeah i felt like they didn't need to be in this movie as much as they were but the those sequences really worked still for me and it made me really want to go back and watch the first movie. It made me more fond of the first movie. I think my nose rating for the first movie has probably gone up because of this film. Um, I, and something we didn't mention, something I just really didn't also love was the, the trajectory, the point of the, the movie at the end where they, they do remember everything. Uh, that didn't land for me because they were like, well, maybe we have better memories now than we had like 
bad memories. And I was like, no, you just have more bad memories. I don't know. Like, <laughs> unless they lived, you know, so they had a great, like three month vacation after it. <laughs> you know, so they, uh, but, um, yeah, you know, uh, the special, I, I will say, let me give credit where credit's due. The special effects were really good in this movie, a lot better than they were in the first one that the, the it spider sequence, I think they nailed the spider because it was the spider, but they kept the clown, which is scary. I thought that that really worked. Um, and the practical effects I, of the thing spider type thing that I think you were referencing. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the thing that. reference. Yeah. yeah, I I think that for me, uh, Skarsgård again, uh, nose for him alone. Like, wh- wh- where is he? Like, bring him. Just just keep him coming in this movie. I th- he's really good in this, and and I really do appreciate the 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 interstellar. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could not believe they did that, and I was I was really excited about that. But again, it just fell short for me. I felt like the, the, the adults just didn't, I just didn't relate to them enough um, and found myself wanting to go back to the first film. And that's not what, sh- that's not what I should be feeling in this movie. So yeah. I'm giving you two bright red Pennywise clown noses from uh, the old Henry over here. Anthony, uh, would you like to give a guest clown nose rating for Take us? Take us home. Uh, I don't know if I want to do the ratings, but I really, <laughs> I mean, I like, you know, I'll leave you guys to the noses and, uh, you know numbers but i think it um it it worked it worked for me i mean I, i'm i'm I, we talked earlier about how imp- kind of impossible this book is to yeah. adapt and i think Very in terms true. of what they accomplished um it, it was really successful uh i thought that you know there are little things here and there that i would quibble with but um overall i thought it was pretty satisfying and i also really responded to the friendship and the heart i don't know if it's just because i live I'm, I, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh and I'm, I moved away 20 some years ago and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's now been, I used to go back more frequently, but now it's been several years since I've gone home. And I think whenever you go back to a place where you have a really intense, uh, history, <laughs> but you don't have a presence, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very haunting experience. And I thought this movie did a good job of capturing that. So yeah. what it, what, while it does maybe, uh, uh, drift more toward, uh, gross out and, and jump scares than dread, I got a lot of dread out of it. And I thought they managed to capture something that's true and soulful in real life that, um, sort of uh was the foundation for the story that idea of going back to a place where you don't have a present you only have a past and you see ghosts on every street corner yeah what happens to them when they go their own way and they have those uh moments of reminiscence uh uh happens to me and um and i and i think it's one of the powerful things in king's work about friendship and and the connections that people have and i thought the movie did a really good job of capturing that so it kind of worked that's great thank you so much it's been <laughs> awesome having you on the pod Anthony. yeah this has dope. been great anthony you've just been a delight on here and, and oh, i know thanks. we went along uh, very long today but <laughs> apologies for that uh, that's okay it's one of my favorite subjects I, I hope it's not too like name dropping when i'm like well steve told me this and that absolutely like, but, uh, no it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great uh, insight it's great insight you know i i used to read his books when you know i was growing up and i loved going to the uh to the ends or especially in the short story collections where he would say hey, here's what's going on with each of these stories like that was one of my that was almost like like uh like getting a post-screening q a or something yeah, like yeah. you got like oh like i actually felt like he was talking to me that yeah. i and i do think he connects with the reader that's what makes his 
writing powerful. So I don't know. I just, I, I hope it doesn't sound pompous or anything, but I just like sharing like, Oh, here's the little thing that I, that I heard from the dude himself. Yeah. He hates Neil Young. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we do too. So yeah. it's I fun mean, for us to hear. My favorite part of this podcast is just drawing inferences from his work and trying to connect it with his own history and hearing the actual reality of that. And if you're, you know, hearing things that I've proven right or proven wrong about is I love it. I, that's, that's one of my favorite parts about this podcast. Yeah. Anthony, where can our listeners find you if they already don't uh, on a daily basis? Well, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter uh, under my last name, Bresnikan. It's kind of complicated, but it's B-R-E-Z-N-I-C-A-N. And I am, as you said, newly hired at Vanity Fair and uh, couldn't be happier to be there. And uh, hopefully people will read and share those stories. They, they will read. We will, most and definitely. Will. <laughs> so, um, thank you so much, Anthony. This has been a blast. Uh, and uh, as for likewise. you listeners, we'll be back next week. we got so, a lot coming up. Lots uh, coming to, up. To so. steal from The Bachelor. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> we, got, we got some potential interviews. Uh, we, we're circling some people from uh, It Chapter 2. Uh, we've, we mentioned before we're going to be talking about the Institute in yep. the coming weeks. Uh, we're going to be doing some needful tweets. We are going to be doing a lobstrosities on creep show three the god-awful creep show three that had, involves nobody from the original one um and then hey uh if you got if, you, if it wasn't enough in the cover story that i've been promoting non-stop on our socials uh then we're you're gonna love our weekly coverage of creep show that begins on september 26 so that's uh gonna carry us into october where we got castle rock we haven't even discussed formally what we're gonna be doing with that and then we got dr sleep so it's a busy year to be a king fan it's a busy Easy time to be a constant listener and hey we're glad that you are taking a, that journey with us over long days, days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights see you soon I got some hot friends God, I got some hot friends I got some hot friends God, I got some hot friends but you know you want some Consequence Podcast Network.